0: I, Vincent Kennedy McMahon, am an unqualified success. Now get the cards, the drugs, from my general... Years ago, I took on every wrestling promoter throughout North America. I kicked every one of their asses. The the with me. In a court of law, I took on the United States of America and I kicked her ass. I took on WCW and it took me a while, but I kicked their asses. Not because I was an asshole, no no. Ask me Mr. McMahon, what's your secret? More than any one quality that makes me the successful man that I am, ruthless aggression. So I want to know here tonight, as you stand here on my ring. Which one of you has that quality? Who among you has that one single ingredient? Who has enough ruthless aggression? Yeah. I'm yeah. a homeowner, they oh. want from me It's like the more money
1: we come across The more brothers we see I'm do a homeowner, they want from me It's like the more money we come across The more brothers we see B-I-G-P-O-P-P-N No info for the P-E-A Federal Agents Yo, South Connection Welcome back to the Rusell Aggressive Podcast Forty-one. We are the precipice of Fiverr Series 2002. Um, let me bring up my guest on this one. He's a first-time guest here on the Ruthlessly Aggressive podcast, and that will be Mr. Johnny C. What's up, Johnny? Oh, Dick
2: Boy, I want to thank you very much. Oh, number 41, you're going to be a little crazy. <laughs> See? If it's Uh, episode number 41, should I do the whole episode in my Dave Matthews voice? How did you know that Kurt Angle Chris Wall got into a fight? You know.
0: You know, it would be a choice.
2: (laughs) I think that's a a nice way of describing it. But uh, in all seriousness, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm a big fan of the show.
1: Great. I'm glad to have you on. Um, So tell us, Johnny, what was your... Um, where were you at, this is your first time on the show, where were you at as a fan in this, um, you know, were you feeling the ruthless aggression? Did you have ruthless aggression in this time period uh, in the fall of 2002 here?
2: I, I did have ruthless aggression and I did all kinds of weird, pathetic things to keep it going, which I'll get to and explain. So 2002 <laughs> is kind of a weird year for me in a sense that like it's, um, so I'm a freshman in college for most of the year. Uh, the time period we're talking about is when I transitioned to finally living like in my own apartment with my f- own friends. And the reason I bring that up is that I was desperately trying to keep wrestling alive because I was the only fan in the house and Thursday nights were bar nights. So I cannot tell you how much, how many memories came playing back of like having people in my first apartment and You know getting drunk before going to the bar which kids get your parents Uh permission first okay Uh but 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 specifically being like you know hey we're leaving and me being like no we're there's 15 minutes left in this iron man match i'm watching the whole fucking thing you know stuff like that um i'd gone to wrestlemania earlier in the year which is kind of the peak of my fandom uh this this era sort of starts what i like to call the i can't remember era When they Mm -hmm. start after do the first brand split, they kind of start doing their, they they make up their own rules on the fly. I think a lot of longtime fans like myself, uh, you know, we could recite to you the list of world WWE champions like in a row up into this time point where they start getting really ridiculous with, you know, Vipers and Cena's getting 76 title reigns and the draft Mm -hmm. rules not being adhered to. So Just as a default, by not being able to keep the logic of the company straight in my brain, plus I was just getting really distracted, you know, but but, you know, that's sort of a summation of what I think a lot of people might have gone through. The pathetic part is I would still uh, drive about an hour back to my parents' place the night of pay-per-views and be like, hey, guys, um, there's a (laughs) Uh, pay-per-view. I'm going to go ahead and watch it, Um, you know, so but that's in a nutshell where I'm at.
1: Don't mind the thirty dollars on your cable bill. No biggie. You'll, you'll well, it'll be fine.
2: It was one of those things where my mom was just happy to have me home.
1: Right. I'm glad you, you took know. advantage. Uh, but uh, I like a, I like SmackDown as a, um, a pregame kind of background noise before going out to a bar. That's kind of a fun dynamic.
2: I, uh, I, I was, uh, I was in a fraternity at the time, and uh, uh, I, which is irrelevant, but it's important for the story. I went to a printing shop to order a bunch of shirts for like the group. And um, I or- actually ordered myself a custom shirt that said "Watch Smackdown," and that's all it said. It was a blue shirt with white letters that just said "Watch Smackdown" wow. with no context or anything like that, and would wear it around campus. It was a big Smackdown mark, man. This was, this was, I mean, who isn't?
1: Right. It's hard to blame you in this era. Um, um... Yeah,
2: this was some badass stuff. Uh, so yeah.
1: I wonder if Stephanie put you up to it wearing the SmackDown shirt, right? Like put you wear this to the bar. This I was
2: I was so bummed that we didn't get to see um, Control Room Stephanie. Uh, if you know what I you know when I reference Control Room Stephanie, you know there's a lot of there's that footage of her in the control room and she's like the beautiful bow. Right. Yes. <laughs> you know, I mean right. she's now hey she's a brilliant. COO, that's the most important thing, or whatever her title is, CCO. But way down the list of her traits, she's a pretty beautiful woman. So I'm a Stephanie fan.
1: Of course, Um, as am I. But um, we will we'll dive in because I'll tell you, we I don't always have too many news and notes, but this week seems to be a pretty busy one as far as the nice. news goes. Um, so we'll, we'll hop into it. I'll I'll go through them somewhat quickly, but just cut me off if you know, if you have any comments on any of these. But we'll start off with the um, kind of like the backstage. I don't want to say drama, but just the backstage, um, you know, happenings.
2: You know, oh, the big yeah. Story. Uh, Charlotte uh, and Becky.
1: Right and this about being Charlotte and Becky. Right, at age, um, at age uh, 13 or something. they were. Uh, hey, that Charlotte
2: <laughs> Flair, she stole
1: my, 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 uh, God, what are those pets that you used
2: to have that would die? Uh, she stole my Gigapet or whatever. Uh, right. What the fuck are those things called? Ah, oh, it doesn't matter. Irrelevant. Tamagotchi, I think maybe. She stole my Tamagotchi. That's Charlotte Flair. She did. My Tamagotchi died because of her.
1: There's an angle. There you go. They yep, could be the thanks. It's a two thousand two
2: thousand two Becky Lynch versus Ashley Fleer and Rebecca Quinn. Sounds,
1: sounds right. Yeah. Shooting. Um, but the reaction, anyway, backstage, me, I just I
2: started <laughs> a ton of crap. A ton of crap. So. <laughs>
1: it's, it's fine. Um, but <laughs> what's going on here is it? Kind of, uh, Meltzer gets into all the um, the lead up to Survivor Series, why Big Show was chosen, and it's because. You know they wanted hogan to come back but hogan when he found out he'd be losing to brock again that wasn't going to work and so he decided he was not going to so they kind of scrambled and at the same time they're wanting to turn brock face uh vince wants to turn him face uh so they've kind of settled on big show there was some talk of possibly doing benoit and you know maybe having hayman align with benoit which would probably be a lot to a lot of fans enjoyment but um, he was not seen by the company as being ready for that kind of spot, and so that is what has led us into this uh, this big show Brock feud that is going to kind of culminate at Survivor Series, and we'll see build as we get into these shows.
2: I feel like every podcast I'm on revolves around Hulk Hogan saying, oh, right. creative is not going to work for me, dude.
1: Yeah, I mean, you throw a dart at the board, and there's a decent shot you're going to end on an instance of um, him
2: yeah. refusing oh, to – uh, creative right. just isn't going to work for me, brother. Now, now, what if, what if I go over? Huh? Right.
1: And in 2002, he didn't have the poll to, um, they just were like, no, that's okay. See you later, Hulk. Um, we'll plug your book a few more times, but that's okay. We're kind of moving on. Um, uh, Ring of Honor, which this is um, interesting given the recent news and our as of recording time with ring of honor but ring of honor and czw worked together co-promoted independent doubleheader in philadelphia this week and it was a big success they drew their roh drew, drew their largest crowd 525 fans for a 5 p.m show and immediately after just down the road 850 fans piled into the old ecw arena for a czw show um so you know the continuing slow build of these um you can feel the um the lower indie promotions kind of building in this um, late 02 as we as we are in the, the early aughts, if you will.
2: Do you know if HWA still has a relationship with WWE at this time?
1: I do not know. Would the you have summer, an insight?
2: Well, because I, 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 I just remembered the summer of 02, I went to an HWA show in Inglewood, Ohio at the Inglewood indoor soccer arena which is in a uh, field where I also played indoor soccer with friends uh and I remember Lance Cade throwing somebody into the goal during the main event and it was pretty funny but it was a real weird show that's probably the weirdest show I've ever attended you talking about independent wrestling in 02 made me think about that
1: right Um, We have TJ Wilson being brought into New Japan Pro Wrestling as the Stampede Kid. Wilson is considered an honorary member of the Hart family. He's considered the best wrestler coming out of that area these days. With Dynamite Kid and Pegasus Kid coming from Calgary, making big names in Japan, the idea is for him to kind of follow in their footsteps. So, um, Yeah, so um, seeing the early career of um, good old um, Tyson Kid here. Tyson Kid and his beats. So it was a sweet gimmick
2: it's too bad he got hurt i really did enjoy that
1: right you can hear more about tyson kidd on ptb nxt in the place to be nation wrestling feed um we'll continue on uh things are basically the same in tna their financial worries have been put to rest after getting the influx of cash but there's still a bit of controversy between jerry jarrett and vince russo over who's going to run creative jerry jarrett's running it but vince russo is not too happy about that so we'll see where that drama goes in the future uh WWE's battle with the World Wildlife Foundation isn't over, despite them changing the name. Although they lost the court case or were forced to change their name, it has now been determined... It's tried, they're trying to determine how much money WWE will be forced to pay in damages. The World Wildlife Fund is asking for millions of dollars, which WWE has responded uh, to calling offensive and unprecedented. But the fund claims extensive damages were caused to their brand name by WWE using the WWF initials illegally. So that is still... despite. Um, that whole drama has not ended with them changing the name. So the World Wildlife Fund is going to get (laughs) theirs.
2: I have some evidence to present in this case. I remember as a kid in the 90s going to Wendy's and getting WWF kids meals, at least that's what was advertised Mm -hmm. on the marquee, and getting so pissed when I would pull out the (laughs) toy and it would be a damn panda bear or something like that. (laughs) So they've been illegally profiting with the Wendy's Corporation for years. It's a conspiracy.
1: Right. That's and it. in their eyes, that was detrimental to their brand because they were associated with, you know, right. I don't know. It, it's, you know, I, I don't know about the damage there. I don't know how much it but, hurt them, but who am oh Yeah,
2: it's it's too much, you know. Um, it was just a, it was a UK thing. Right? Well, it, people can read it on their own. But, yeah, I never I never really understood how they had a leg to stand on. But I guess the European uh, situation was a little bit different. So,
1: right. Um, the, uh, this is an interesting one. Kenton was quite a name. Kenton Jenkins, the general manager of WWE's, the world restaurant Times Square was arrested on grand larceny charges. WWE began investigating Jenkins after realizing some paperwork and money transfers weren't making sense. Once they realized what was up, they contacted the police, and they opened their investigation and arrested him. So things, uh, <laughs> already got some grand larceny going on within the world. Do you think when the cops showed up, Mr. Jenkins was like, "All right, let's go,
2: Leroy Jenkins"?
1: (laughs) I can only assume, but uh,
2: yeah, um, I mean, I think that that's how most people ride into their fiery death. So
1: right when they're getting uh, yeah pulled in by the police from their employee for embezzling money. Um, Um, Kurt Angle closed the book on possibly making a return to Olympics, which had been rumored throughout this year. Um, he uh, supposedly went to some kind of training camp or something, and he quickly realized that he was not in any condition to wrestle on an Olympic level anymore after seeing what the guys who are, you know, in their primes and younger. And he also said that um, he believes that the wrestlers now are much better and more advanced than he was in 1996 with uh, more advanced techniques. And he uh, kind of surmises that he felt like a fossil going in there and quickly changed his mind about any aspirations to ever go back to the Olympics. So. Yeah. Don't uh, allow me to that.
2: translate i can't pass the drug test moving on <laughs>
1: right the drug test the physical any you know
2: yeah i mean that's okay up. i mean he's a he's a he's a free person he should be allowed to do what he you know i'm not condo- well i'm glad he's okay now but I, you know it's, just a, it's called a spade a spade
1: right but quite, but quite a quite a sight to see a perk angle in the uh, in the olympics I would have paid for. I, I would have paid
2: for it. That's and that's a problem too. Not enough money to be made in the Olympics. She better just go to college and play.
1: <laughs> right, and um, and destroy your neck in front of live crowds like 300 times a year, like he's doing here. That is um, true. Right. Um. Nothing new on the Steve Austin front. Meltzer reports. Um. Supposedly Austin doesn't even know whether he's suspended or not. Kind of similar to the CM Punk situation that would happen years later. Like. Kind of in this weird gray area where he assumes he's suspended, but nothing's official and just things are still uh pretty bad between them. No, they have not mended any fences yet. Um, but Meltzer speculates that with business kind of in a bit of a downswing, they'll be surprised if Vince reaches out to him and tries to um to make things right come mania time. So some good Meltzer there. Decent prediction. <laughs> <laughs> Um, triple H was interviewed by a Cincinnati paper and asked why he's a champion raw. And his responses were, um, kind of stereotypical triple H because, uh, pretty much saying that he's the best, he's the best, the biggest star that they have. And supposedly a lot of guys backstage didn't like these comments and it kind of feeds into the, the perception of him during this um, time period. Did
2: these guys <laughs> not realize it's a uh, staged?
1: Right, I'm assuming, yeah. It sounds very much like a, um, you know, like he's doing a put on. So I'm with you.
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't like Triple H, but it sounds like he was just in character, not having read it, of course.
1: Right. Um, And the last note that I have here, well, last few notes we have is that uh, Nathan Jones still hasn't signed a contract, but they were impressed with him at tryout. So he'll probably get one soon. Um, but they'll have to offer him more money than the usual developmental deal because he could make more money working overseas. Um, but he's not good enough for the main roster yet. Not yet. <laughs> we'll see. He's, he's, <laughs> he's, tell you
2: what, he's good enough for George Miller. He's one of the best parts of Mad Max Fury Road.
1: Yeah, worked out for old Nathan anyway. Um, last note is at OVW, they've been doing a tournament where one OVW star will already spot in the 2003 Royal Rumble. It was won by um, – I always botch his name. Um I, I'm not even want to try and say it because every time I say it I, I forget how to say it. It's like did he D-A- make oh go
2: ahead.
1: Uh-huh. No, D-A-M-A-J-A. I'm just gonna spell it because I've tried to say it before and fucked it up. So
2: mm. I'm not familiar with said sports entertainer.
1: Right. I know he's kind of known, but I'm with you. I think it's because his time comes in what is sort of my kind of blind spot too. Like you said, like O2 which is why it's going to be interesting as I get a little bit further in this podcast, is I feel like, like you mentioned earlier, 02 is my last my last year where I feel like I could remember everything kind of in a decent amount of detail, where mm-hmm. by 03, things really start to kind of get a little fuzzy, where I really only remember the, the real broad strokes. So,
2: I, I yeah. mean, I think, I ha- well, yeah, it has a lot to do with the, convoluted nature of uh you know the way they they kind of swing the belts around and the you know they just start moving people from show to show and it's like there's nothing that i mean things stand out but it's the big picture
1: stuff right all right but that'll wrap us up with the uh, news and notes like i said quite a few this week but um we'll we'll head right into raw so this would be the um the november 11th 2000 uh not 2021, 2002 episode of Raw, live from Cincinnati, um, and this will be our last episode before, um, before Survivor Series. So we we find out before our opening video package that HBK is here. And with that, we go straight into a match, which has been a little bit more common on Raw. They've kind of maybe turned away a bit from the long, drawn-out 20-minute interview segments to open the show, maybe leaning a bit more in the SmackDown direction by trying to open with a pretty hot match. And they kind of get one here. We get Kane and RVD versus Jericho and Christian. Um kind of building off the uh, chamber as three of these guys are gonna be in the chamber. And even Christian has sort of been teased as a possible, like an alternate, I guess you could say for the chamber. So kind of building off of that, we get an awesome, uh, fast RVD Jericho sequence to start. Good power and speed dynamic with Kane and Rob, I found throughout this match. You just have like Kane tossing dudes around and then Rob comes in and kind of hits his, you know, typical dies and educated feet moves. The heels uh, tie up the ref so Jericho doesn't get pinned by a choke slam rvd takes some serious tumbles week in and week out man like in this one he does this bump where he falls out of the ring and um like goes off the top rope into the barricade which looked pretty sick um i don't know this match had great energy it never really bogged down too much i i didn't think this was the worst spot putting kane and rvd together after they've been kind of floundering a bit after losing the triple h uh good heel work by jericho and christian um and i feel like it's the the best christian and jericho have gelled as a team since they've been uh, put together uh, in the finish, we get Jericho using the belt and, um, and kind of clearing uh, clears everyone out. And um, sorry, uh, he clears, uh, uses the belt, gets cleared out. But then Rob hits the frog splash, gets insane distance on it. But Jericho rocks him with a chair. Um, for the dq so we kind of get a non-finish here uh, but i enjoyed this match uh johnny I, I gave it three stars i thought it was a pretty good hot opener i thought everybody looked pretty solid in this one yeah
2: man rvd and kane are so over this was so refreshing like uh cincinnati I, i'm i live in cincinnati and i feel like any time that they're in cincinnati the crowd seems to stand out to me as being a little lethargic um, mm-hmm. But they they were into it here. The RBD and Kane are ridiculously over. Kane looks like a million bucks. I wish that huh, I don't know. Like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say that Kane is like underrated, but this particular version of Kane, like physically right. fit, slim, half mask, kind of has a personality. Kane. They this was the time, and we all know what they did. Can we just swing back to the the intro where they show HBK though real
1: quick? Yeah, go ahead. Be-
2: because the dude is shown reading, um, you know, it's kind of funny because he's in catering and he's reading the the money section of the USA Today, and <laughs> he he promptly closes it and puts it down and like shrugs, and it makes me wonder why he wasn't surprised when he needed to borrow all that money from JBL.
1: <laughs> so I didn't notice that small detail, but that is a weird like commentary having Sean read the money section. Uh, it's strange. I used to have- I used to hound
2: my dad for the USA Today uh, first thing when he walked in the door every day for like twelve years because I wanted the entertainment section, not the money section.
1: Right. Sean might agree with you given his reaction. So.
2: Absolutely, I gave I I, I like to I gave like you. I gave it three stars. Uh, I'm digging Chris Jericho coming out to the saliva. That song's been stuck in my head for like three or four days. I've been randomly yelling it, and my kids are like, Dad, shut up. <laughs>
1: Um, yeah, I enjoyed it too. It's um, especially given, I could have easily not liked it because his theme is good, but I think it's, it's a solid little change up. It's a nice change of pace. It, it's not too bad.
2: Um, yeah, the, a WWE's mm-hmm. favorite band is clearly Saliva. Forget Lymphus, all right? It is Saliva. <laughs>
1: That's interesting. Um, All right, so we head backstage after this, and we have Jericho and Christian cutting promos. Jericho says that he's going to be winning the title in the Elimination Chamber. Uh, Christian pipes in and says that he's the first backup for the Chamber, and he will win it because even if he has to beat his partner, and an angry Jericho, um, like, cleans this clock for that comment, like, knocks him out for um, even suggesting that he would, you know, (laughs) beat Jericho in this match, so... Some good, like, uh, establishing that Jericho is the the alpha in this team.
2: Oh, it's great character work. I love that.
1: All right. right. Well, we get a a quick recap here of what has been a pretty good story between Sean and Hunter, like, just kind of reminding us of everything that's been happening with these two since SummerSlam. Um, I've covered a great amount of detail in this one, but... It, it's been a good story, I think, um, and it's it's going to continue at the Chamber, and I think they've done a good job of kind of building what happened at SummerSlam into the um, into Elimination Chamber in the Survivor Series um, storyline.
2: Definitely. I, um, I, I, I spent way too much time trying to figure out this Shawn Michaels quote, this uh, don't hunt what you can't kill, mm-hmm. and I don't, I don't dislike it, um, but I swore I thought it was from Predator. Or something like that, and I I fell into a black hole, and I guess he didn't steal it from Predator, but I'm gonna pretend he did as a way to justify my time.
1: <laughs> if you, right, I was gonna wonder if you ever got to the bottom of it. I kind of no. assumed it was just kind of an old saying, like cliche type of thing. That yeah, I mean that's assumption. yeah. Mm-hmm. It
2: totally sounds like something maybe his daddy told him while he was sitting. Or his grandpappy told him while he was sitting on his knee. Little Michael right. Heckenbottom, don't hunt what you <laughs> can't kill. Ah. Oh. You've got it, grandpops.
1: <laughs> all right, we hit the Booker T, who's speaking with um, the reporter, Mr. Gregory Helms, of no relation to the hurricane. Uh, all Booker T is thinking about is whooping triple H. Uh, Goldus uh, says that the microphone is almost as big as his. So some good uh, innuendos there by Goldus. Uh And they say that green and gold will have a victory all over. Goldus and Hurricane against Tess and Steven Richards tonight. Uh, the testicles, <laughs> the testicles are strong, but Goldust isn't talking about his fans. He's talking about the Golden Globes. So a lot of Goldust talking about his crotch in this uh, promo, but it was entertaining as always with these two.
2: Yeah, um, I agree. I was, I did not remember Hurricane and Goldust being a thing. Um, I was disappointed that Goldust didn't have like a uh, like a sidekick's uniform, like like a little because he would he could have look great in like a Robin outfit. You know because it would have been funny to see gold dust in little tights or little pants or whatever, pixie boots, oh, all that jazz.
1: <laughs> hey, it could still happen, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. It's possible No. That's don't what you, like
2: <laughs> you know what that means. We're gonna have to be watching some AEW wrestling,
1: <laughs> right? All right, we now head to our next match. It's gonna be Jeff Hardy versus um, the um, Un Americans. <laughs> The Reduced on americans uh, 2.0, Storm and Regal. Uh, Storm is pugnacious in this match, as JR says, just kind of <laughs> relentless as he typically is, <laughs> pugnacious late Storm.
2: He's Jeff, pugnacious,
1: uh, King. Yes, he's a, which I was like, you know, he's not wrong. It's a decent no, word to not. describe his... <laughs> Jeff has his nice unorthodox spots, working as the under, underdog throughout this match. Regal gets involved, uh, so Dreamer comes in. I should mention that this is – um, it's Jeff Hardy versus Storm one-on-one. Regal's there, but um, he is not in the match. It's just a one-on-one match with Regal as the uh, kind of support. But he ends up – Regal gets involved, so Dreamer comes out to kind of save his buddy Jeff Hardy. And it allows him to hit the twist of fate and in the swan to win. Um, you know, it was brief, but I like these two together. Um, I feel like Jeff's been uh, better lately. And Storm is always technically sound in ring, if maybe not always super spectacular. And, you know, it was nice for Jeff to pick up a win because Storm and Rego at this point are just kind of role players for sure. And they're trying to give Jeff a little bit of a, uh, I wouldn't say a push, but just trying to give him – kind of maybe build them back up a bit. But I just went the good old Gentleman's 2 on this one, Johnny.
2: Yeah, so I have way too many notes on this, but I think it's important to bring up that this match mm-hmm. was brought to us by Half Past Dead. Uh, I think that's a Steven Seagal DMX movie. So it's actually <laughs> all the way dead. All right. The, the Un-Americans <laughs> theme song is um, it's just production music because it's the same music they would use on the Chappelle show to when they would do like uh, – Great gang war history, uh, specifically the Battle of the Cool Mod concert. Um, it just—I I watched a lot of Chappelle's show when I was in college. Jeff Hardy's sorry, wearing sorry. his uh, his <laughs> own T-shirt with his own face on it. I think we've heard JT talk about this in the past. It's the dreaded wrestling T-shirt with the wrestler's face on it, all of the yellow Razor Ramon shirt. Um, <laughs> Jeff Hardy's high as a kite. He doesn't even realize that he's supposed to get. He thrown back in the ring when Regal throws him back in the ring, and uh, I gave it two stars just for that. Um, it, and it's a really good thing too that uh, William Regal didn't try to sexually assault Jeff Hardy because Tommy Dreamer would have just stayed in the back and been like, "Yeah, it seems all right." <laughs> it's
1: true. It's true. And that's true. That's true. Yeah.
2: And that, that's and that's it. I gave it two
1: stars. Dreamer was. I can't remember if he had the the stupid. Um, oh, he like had American the USA. Fly- Yep. Yeah, it is I mean, dumb the thing. hat.
2: You know what, Tommy Dreamer, you're never gonna listen to this podcast, but you think you're anything, you wore the WWE American flag t shirt. That's it. Yeah. All credibility lost.
1: Right. And that I don't stupid like hat. Tommy
2: Dreamer. I'm sorry. I mean, he's just a dumbass. If anything else, he's just a dumbass.
1: Look, I'm not gonna I'm it. not gonna defend him. Don't get any defense I mean, from me.
2: <laughs> I mean, I, I, it's not even just if you're dumb enough to say that shit. Like, have a better PR person. Like, have hire hire a wrangler to tell you. Um, actually, we we probably don't want that recorded. Or just don't believe it. That's that's the more important thing. I'm sorry, it's too much. I just, I, yeah, you know, I didn't think I'd have the opportunity to make fun of Tommy Dreamer, so I took advantage of it.
1: Hey, okay, there you go. All right, we head to Terry, who speaks with Eric Bischoff, who is in high spirits about the Elimination Chamber, and he also mentions that he has booked a match between her and Victoria based on last week's incident. Um, we, we cut to the ring. Victoria's in full, like, uh, crazy woman mode, uh, calling her to the ring, waiting in the ring, calling Terry out, um, says she wants to beat her up because she has blonde hair just like Trish, and so it, since she's going to face Trish at Survivor Series, why not start with Terry as a bit of a warm-up? Terry says that she's an interviewer, tries to reason with her. um, well, uh, Terry, I should say mentions to Eric, like she tries to talk, talk out of it with Eric, but of course he works as he wants to have, uh, if she wants to have <laughs> Christmas gifts for a child, she better wrestle. So. Some good evil Eric Bischoff there forcing her to go into this match or threaten the fire. She tries to reason with Victoria, but it it does doesn't help at all. Victoria attacks her and of course like strips her clothes because of course they have to get that and it gets cheers from the crowd which is weird. But I like that they pivoted a bit after that and it just got turned into a, a normal brutal beatdown. Like slams her on the ramp, which starts to get her more of a heel reaction, you know rather than mm-hmm. the face reaction of stripping her down. She low blows Charles Robinson, which I thought was a nice touch. Goes to get a ladder, but Trish runs out and catapults the ladder into her face to kind of cut her off. And then they even call this on commentary how goofy this was, but so they've been letting poor Terry get beat up the entire time. And then as soon as Trish comes out to help, now they're like, now the refs are like, oh now we have to stop this. But they kind of play it off as that it, it's Bischoff has decided, you know, he was letting her get beat up, I guess. But Yeah, I thought it was a good segment. Um, I thought it was a good beatdown. I like um, to kind of get over this insane Victoria character. And I like Trish coming to make the save. Um, Like, um, I thought it made Victoria really look like a beast, both just physically and like that she's a maniac. Did you think it was
2: weird that JR kept yelling in the commentary, don't sell it Terry, don't sell it.
1: Right, yeah, (laughs) that was odd.
2: Yeah, it was very odd. Victoria coming to the ring and not having her theme music being played is a crime against humanity, although I'm sure it would have been dubbed on Peacock.
1: Right. Yeah, it was. it's um, a bummer that she doesn't have the uh, the music, right?
2: Tattoo. Yeah, I mean, I don't know much right. about the, the musical duo Tattoo, but I loved that song. It was a perfect entrance for her. Uh, yeah, her outfit kind of made me a little uncomfortable. Um and I, I'm not it just how do you wrestle in that? It's just it's too hmm. sad. It's sad when you have like the the women that compete now and you go back and think, oh man, poor Victoria, even poor Trish to an extent, not because they need me to defend them or say, Oh, poor them, but I just think that they could have been like be even more revered than they are now. I don't know, they're just I don't know. It's too bad.
1: Right. We'll see. They'll they'll get it. We'll see the shot that they get at, at Survivor Series and see, um, you know, what happens with that match. If we can get, you know, maybe they'll be given a bit of time and a chance to shine possibly with this because it's, you know, I, they've the feud has gotten a bit better. They've moved away from the Trish, uh, the uh, the Trish uh, sleeping her way to the top and all that kind of stuff. They kind of moved, starting to get away from that, which I think is good.
2: Yeah, yeah, I will agree with that.
1: All right, we now head to Ric Flair backstage, who is, um, he sees the, uh, the newly Raw-debuted Batista, and he, um, he wants to shake his hand. Batista is reluctant. He refuses to shake Flair's hand, and it's just a lot of flair, like, um, saying how impressed um, he's been with Batista and that he's a physical specimen and all this stuff, but Batista looks skeptical throughout the whole thing, so possibly laying some um, a little bit of foreshadowing of what's to come down the line.
2: Yeah, I really enjoyed this a lot. Just knowing, you know, where things go. It was cool to see Dave. Uh, God, looking like a, he's like, looks like he was like 16. I mean, he doesn't, but he's Mm -hmm. just so young. It's crazy to see.
1: Right, right, and he's gonna have a match here. He's gonna be facing uh, D'Lo Brown. If um, you wonder what's gonna happen here, you know, anytime they're trying D'Lo Brown out on O2 Raw, you know you're not expecting D'Lo to pick up the W. And so he's gonna come out against Batista, and he's gonna get squashed, as you would assume. Um, it's Batista kind of hitting his power moves. His signature, they're kind of trying to build here, is the spine buster into the power bomb. Um, he certainly comes off as a physical specimen. He is jacked to the gills here. Like, looks like he's about to burst. But uh, I wouldn't have, my standard squash rating if it's an inoffensive squash is about one star. So I just don't want a straight up one star. Just a straightforward match t- to continue to build Batista as a beast.
2: Yeah, I could not believe that D'Lo Brown appeared on my TV screen. Uh, full disclosure, the day before I watched the episode of TNA where he debuts. And I was like, D'Lo Brown? What the fuck? And then I'm watching Brown, I'm like, holy shit, D'Lo Brown? What the fuck? <laughs> um, I, I gave it... I give it two and a half, which I guess is sort of the baseline that I use for, like, whatever. Um, I did – couldn't help but notice in this match that Jr. kept calling Dave Bautista, like a B B-A-W A right, B-A-W-Tista, yeah. as opposed it is, to it's, Bautista. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's been a thing game, since he
1: debuted. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: like, figure it out, Jr. I mean, you probably signed him to a very lucrative contract. you just have $7 in his pocket. Bautista.
1: So I think it was like intentional because ever since he debuted on SmackDown, like even when he was on SmackDown, Cole is always saying it too. Like I feel like it's so – like they lay it on so thick it has to be like intentional that like they were told by – you know, Vince or whoever's deciding these things, like, no, you got to call him Batista. We're going with not Batista. It's got like emphasized the ball. Like, yes. It yes. is strange. It'll be interesting to see when they drop that because obviously it's going to drop, but it has to have been like a concerted move to call him Batista over Batista <laughs> in this early run.
2: Can you see Vince in the back? Boys, we got to use the ball. And JR's like, yeah. what are you talking about, Vince? And he's like, you know, the ball with the ball, the bang, the dang, bang. <laughs>
1: So I need to make that like a dub ball with the Bautista. Right.
2: The the um I don't know I love seeing Dave. It was uh, it was a lot of fun, but that that yeah that ball that ball was really strange.
1: Yes. Yeah. It's a, it it's it is weird to hear. <laughs> um, all right, but we'll um, we'll con- we'll continue now with HBK heading down to the ring to cut a promo. Uh, he grabs a mic. He says that everyone is aware of his beliefs now that his life runs around God, family, himself, and his fans. But even though he is a changed man, he also believes in retribution. He hypes the chamber. Um, he says he doesn't completely <laughs> know what the cham- chamber is, but he also doesn't know he didn't know what a ladder match was or Hell in the Cell was. Kind of putting over all these, you know. M- I guess like matches and obviously this is in WWE world or something like obviously he wasn't in the first ever ladder match that ever happened, but in WWE lore, he was just kind of saying he's been in a lot of these new gimmick matches and he kind of won them and so on and so forth. And it's only been four years. What can stop him now? He's not HBK or the showstopper anymore. He's just Shawn Michaels, but that should be plenty. He and Hunter have traveled different roads and Triple H tried to take his livelihood and he cannot forgive that. His goal is to not let Triple H walk out with the belt. And God says all things are possible to those who believe, and He believes that He will be the champ when He leaves on Sunday. Um, what do you think of this promo, Johnny? I'll let you speak on it first. Sure.
2: Okay. So first of all, Shawn Michaels, your hair, your hair, wolf. All right. There's a, <laughs> there's a lot. There's a lot more God in his character than I'd remembered. I mean, I always remembered like in the mm-hmm. whatever. It's fine. I'm not. I'm just saying that. Uh, to me, uh, it was always more like little things. Like he'd come down to the ring with like a Bible verse on mm. his shirt. Like I didn't really remember his promos being this heavy. I'm like, Or even like th-
1: or this early, you know. Sorry, like this yeah. early in no. the run. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. He, you know, I um. he says he doesn't know what an Elimination Chamber match is. He says he doesn't know what a Marathon match was. I also don't know what a Marathon match is. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, he says, I'm not the Heartbreak Kid anymore. And then he like. Pauses and the camera is like straight on his shirt that says HBK, and uh, <laughs> you know he's he's lying, so he's going to hell. Um, but whatever. Uh, when you when you'd mentioned uh, that Shawn Michaels was all about retribution, it reminded me that a young Mustafa Ali at that point like ran up and hugged the TV. He's like, me too, Shawn. Me too. Wasn't that the name of that stable? Retribution. Right.
1: Yes. Yes. The, uh, of course. <laughs>
2: Did did yes. you did you mention that we didn't? Did we get the Triple H spoiling the party yet? He's the party pooper.
1: Right. So here comes Triple H. He um uh, he comes out and mocks him and says he in this arena he is God and um Sean That's a great points, line.
2: That's a
1: great. Right, line. Right. It was. It was. It was very good. Like Sean's doing all this God talking. He says that he's God. Um, I like Sean's reaction though. He kind of points up and kind of no sells it a bit. And, but Triple H says now he's going to come down there and kick his ass and he heads down to the rig and they actually slug it out. I was a little surprised. I thought maybe it would get broken up before they would actually come to blows, but they slug it out. Sean gets crushed at the clothesline and gets hit with a pedigree. Triple H goes to get the sledge and then the officials come in and kind of swarm the ring to stop him from um, ending Sean in this one. So um I like that it was a, a quicker Triple H problem. Where he just comes in and kind of says the one good line and kind Of gets down to business, which it was, um, to your point, Johnny, it was a great line. I agree,
2: yeah. He doesn't have the beard though, so I think he should mm-hmm. uh change his, change his name to Triple Face because the man has a giant face with no beard. I'm sorry, I, there's no nice way to say it. And, and I right. kind of mm-hmm. wanted at the end of the promo for Shawn Michaels to like get on his knees and look at his hands, and for JR to be like, <laughs> The Heartbreak Kid asking his gods, Is it my time? is it my time <laughs> to retire you know because right. the great wrestlers ask their gods when it's time you know
1: L- let me ask you something because it's hard to deny that we know where this is going at the elimination chamber but at the time since you know you were pretty locked in did you think sure. he was going to go into the chamber and win?
2: so at the time i remember i think because you know i was trying to i was clued into the internet stuff i think mm-hmm. It was, was it still a thing that Sean was like living on borrowed time? I remember when he came back at SummerSlam, it was, at least I didn't hear that it was like going to evolve into a full-time gig. And I thought it was, yeah, like borrowed time. Like, okay, he wrestled at SummerSlam. It's been four months. He can do one more match because, you know, he's Shawn Michaels. They want, you know, they put some money in his face, but he can't have a full schedule. So I didn't know that he would win. I, I honestly don't, I mean, RVD or Kane would have been better picks. Personally, I mean, we all know where it goes, but I, I would have put money on me thinking that Sean wasn't going to win because this was maybe his last match.
1: Right. That maybe he goes in, and I would think possibly he goes in there so Triple H could get his win back, if anything. You know, like, yeah. And that's why he's in there to kind of not saying that's what should have happened or anything, but I could have see, maybe saw that as the reason for him to come back one more time after SummerSlam to kind of maybe put the end to that story and then he kind of fades away after that maybe
2: yeah or maybe they're one and two and jericho's the third entrant and he doesn't touch either one of them because he's like i'm gonna let these jackasses beat themselves up and then the whole match continues eventually michaels eliminates triple h and then it's like him and rvd at the end and they have like a 10 minute face off and he puts rvd over and goes away into retirement
1: Right. But for sure, I think you at this time. I think like Meltzer's been kinda up and down on it, but definitely no like definitive, you know, uh Sean's gonna be around for the foreseeable future. And it's definitely still very up in the air as to what his future holds. So
2: for sure. And the last time, you know, I mean, WrestleMania 14's ending lives strong in my memory. And you know, those I remember listening to your SummerSlam episode, those every backbreaker such an elementary move had such an impact in that match that you know i truly believe that sean was at the end i was like i couldn't believe he pulled the Summerslam match off
1: all right well we will see when we get to the elimination chamber what's going to happen um, Alright, so we'll roll on to, uh, we're going to get the Dudley boys, the, uh, the modified Dudley boys, which is Bubba and Spike versus Jamal and Rosie here. We, and we get the announcement that there's going to be a six-man table match between the Dudleys and Jeff Hardy versus Three Minute Warning and Rico. Um, a lot of Spike getting wrecked as you would expect in this match. She gets press slammed in this one. King, <laughs> this was a ridiculous line, but King asked if Spike is a small person or a giant midget, which was, couldn't, <laughs> which is uh, quite a line. Uh, um, Bub, Bubba turns it around momentarily, gets a little bit of offense in on Jamal and Rosie, but he ends up getting the overwhelm him, and he actually gets pinned with a Samoan drop. Um, I was a little shocked at such a decisive win for Three Minute Warning as they're going into this um, into the big match at uh, Survivor Series. So um, the match wasn't too much to speak of; it was real quick, it was pretty basic. I ended up going a star and a half on it, but an interesting, uh, interesting, interesting decision going into um, you know, Bubba doesn't—he doesn't, he doesn't uh, take too many pinfalls, and this was a pretty definitive one.
2: Yeah, I—I I was disappointed from the get-go when Three Minute Warning didn't have their rockin' theme song. Mm-hmm. You got right. three minutes in your hand in clear. The chicken <laughs> right. and not give me a beer. Um, hey, do you think Jamal looks kind of like Yumanga? Uh,
1: you know, a, a touch. Yeah, a, a smidge. I,
2: I almost feel like they could have—they could have been related. It was, uh, during this match, I noticed that Three Minute Warning both have on, like, jerseys, but neither one of them are wearing the number three. Seems like a missed opportunity at branding. Uh, Just putting that out there for Stephanie. And do you think (laughs) that, uh, do you think that instead of the, like, the stylist gimmick, they should have given Rico Farouk's original outfit and called him the modern-day American gladiator?
1: (laughs) Um, You know, I think it... It could have worked. I I don't know. Well,
2: I mean, you know, did he win American Gladiators or did he just get to the end? I can never remember. I've actually watched the episode on, like, YouTube or some shit, but I don't remember.
1: We'll have to consult JT. I feel like he's the the American Gladiators, like, um, the expert. um, Was your favorite
2: American Gladiators, was your favorite event assault? And if it wasn't, why not?
1: Um, So. My memories of American yeah. Gladiators are like very vague because I was a little bit, a bit younger in its heyday. Okay. So it's like I remember watching it, but I don't remember many details of it. I just remember the general vibe of it because I, I remember watching it at like age six or something. And so it's just like the, you know, I just I don't remember all of the details. I, I need to go back and <laughs> need to go binge American Gladiators, I guess.
2: Assault was where the Gladiator stood up on the podium with the tennis ball, like Gatling gun, like Schwarzenegger hasn't terminated. Oh, uh, OK. And um, I just I like that was my favorite event.
1: I feel like I always remember the one where as a kid, it always looked like they were fighting with like giant Q-tips, like the big baton things oh, or whatever.
2: The, the Joust, as my friend Mike Adamley would call it. Next up <laughs> on the Joust, a wonderful young competitor. His name is Jeff Harvey. <laughs>
1: Jeff Harvey, um, which, um, well, pretty smooth, uh, transition here. as Jeff Harvey goes after them to, uh, take up for his <laughs> boys, the Dudleys and misses a, uh, he misses a swanton on Rico. they end up, um, so the, the, really the most, um, memorable thing of this whole match and segment is that, so three minute warning stack, um, they put Spike and Jeff on two tables and then, sp- uh, splash through them simultaneously, which is a pretty sick bump and, uh, kind of gets over what we could expect at the, um, in the uh tables match at Survivor Series, so that was effective in kind of putting over the um what we can expect on Sunday,
2: yeah. It got two stars just for the table break for that was it because I the match I wasn't really into it, but when they broke that table, I was like, I'll give them two, I'll be nice,
1: right? Which has kind of been my knock on three minute warning throughout this run is that when they're doing stuff like this, they look awesome, but when they get put in more of a just a match, it they I don't know, it's like they can't. They can't put it together like they don't have enough in the arsenal, I guess, or something to really function well in a traditional tag match as and be super impressive. It's like they're good in these like short bursts of insane spots, but maybe a little rough Cons- around the edges and ring. Consider this
2: that, you know, that Jamal, you know, Umaga is in this match as basically a rookie. And we'll talk a little bit later about a match that John Cena was in as a rookie. Can you see with those guys putting on a five-star match against one another? No, but that's one of the fun things about this is that you get to see just these versions of these wrestlers and characters that you just don't remember, and it's a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun going back and watching for that specific reason.
1: Right. It's everyone in their earliest, earliest incarnation. Yeah, I agree. It's one of the best people for doing it. All right, so we'll head to uh, Chris Nowinski. He comes out to the ring with a book of poems uh, to talk about how he tells the uh, – you might be able to speak on this one, Johnny, but he talks about Pete Rose should be in the Hall of Fame, which gets a big pop from the crowd. But swerve, he then calls them all stupid and says they were easily manipulated by him, just like Al Snow. So any response to Chris Nowinski on these comments, Johnny?
2: A couple a couple things. I was disappointed that after he said Pete Rose, he didn't say, how about it? <laughs> And Al Snow, so Al Snow cuts off uh, Chris Harver or Chris right before he's about to quote Dickens. Now, I consulted with Mr. Nowinski and actually got a copy of the quote that he was going to read. And if you would just bear with me for maybe 35 seconds. The The quote was I see a beautiful city and a brilliant people rising from this abyss. I see the lives for which I lay down my life peaceful, useful, prosperous, and happy. I see that I hold a sanctuary in their hearts and in the hearts of their descendants, generations hence. It is a far, far better thing that I do than I have ever done. It is a far, far better rest that I go to than I have ever known.
1: Wow. Beautiful. I wish you would have read it. Well, the crowd booed the shit out of him. That would have been great.
2: I know, I know. Luckily, though, he didn't read it out loud, and uh, Christopher Nolan was later able to transplant that into the end of The Dark Knight Rises, which is where I stole it from.
1: Uh, it's actually from A Tale of Two you. Cities, but, you know. Uh, close enough. You know, it works. We didn't always yeah. Yeah, know he was going to read
2: You yeah, know what, I'll tell you, that,
1: that, that, that quote's better than um, this Chris Nolinsky-All Snow feud, I can tell you that.
2: Yeah, yeah, and that dude just had, you know, a pen, and a. these guys had their entire bodies to tell us the story,
1: and they failed. Right, so he's going to face, then once he's going to face Al Snow here, who's, they've been doing this kind of real lackluster mentor-mentee feud thing, the match here is just, it's a nothing match, like, they putz around for, do a few holes and locks, Uh, they try and get over that, Al's, like, punishing him with some slaps, um. But Diewinski ends up winning with the feet on the ropes. Nothing real impressive in this. Not, you know, for what they're trying to get over, it didn't feel like there was much heat to this. Um, I ended up going a half a star. Very disappointing for me. And I guess we yeah. could mention now, of course, Maven comes in for the save, and I don't know. I just didn't care much.
2: <laughs> I was going to give it a star, but when uh, Maven rescued Al Snow, I thought they were going to play Maven's theme song, and they didn't, so I didn't give it any stars.
1: It, disappointing. I, A lot of disappointing uh, theme music moments here.
2: Gonna wanna feel the night. The (laughs) Mavens, and now, Tough Enough. They had the Tough Enough theme song.
1: (laughs) Right. Yeah, I'm sure that's gonna help his growth as a superstar is being constantly tied to Tough Enough, which is whole feud, and all these guys are, and it's like an anchor weighing them down, but they can't get back. This
2: this is post-under... Yeah, the Undertaker rumbles O2, right?
1: Yes, yes.
2: You know, and you know that the Undertaker, you know, his quiet moments in his his Undertaker mansion, he's just like, You know what? I gave Maven everything he needed. Guy should have been a main event, but <laughs> you know, he didn't put in the effort. I did everything I could for him.
1: <laughs> I love that. Like him uh, yeah. like him you know, patting himself on the back for Given Maven the rocket push, only for him to squander it. Yeah, he's just rocking back and forth on his porch. Michelle McCool's not
2: there, so he's just talking to himself. He's like, Maven he's a good kid. Put him over. Just never, uh, he never put in the work. We got to put in the work in the ring and outside the ring.
1: Yeah, I could see his, like, talking head in her interview in one of these, like, WWE docs saying that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. He's
2: such an interesting, interesting character. Moving on. Maven right. didn't didn't Maven. Maven never. Achieved
1: yeah. Greatness. Yeah. The uh, the tough enough for you does not not go on many places. Um, all right. Eric Bischoff comes out to hype Super Tuesday, which is something doing the pot. I completely forgot this ever existed. I guess it was some cross promotional Tuesday show on UPN. But, man, I have no memory of this. But
2: I got stressed for a second because I was like, oh, shit, I got to watch Super Tuesday, too.
1: No, no. Super yeah. Tuesday is I'm assuming lost somewhere in the. Um, you know, it could have maybe read, been a hidden gem at some point. I read I the results
2: that the, the mm-hmm. they had a they had like a big Survivor Series style match, but All it wasn't. Right. I'm Imagine if they did that. What if they did a live one-hour network special and it was just like one giant ten-man tag between like five main eventers on each side? And I'm not talking like Roman Reigns and like the Dirty Dogs. I mean, I'm like it, like the biggest guys. I don't know. I think that'd be mm-hmm. cool. The Survivor Series is a missed concept. Uh,
1: Kind of. I kind of miss it a little bit. I think we all do. But um, he quickly pivots to the chamber, Eric does, and we hear uh, – we get interviewed with the construction workers who built this thing, which is kind of <laughs> interesting. Yeah, we they talk do. About, <laughs> they talk about how it's made of ten tons of steel, how sturdy it is. Um, but I have to say at the time, I was super curious about this thing. I remember watching at the time and the, like a ton of intrigue. They've done a really good job of like being shrewd about it and kind of keeping it veiled. Like, where you really don't know completely what it is, but they've given you enough of a hint to, like, make it interesting. And especially when they say it's, like, war games and Royal Rumble and kind of saying all these things. Um, He explains the rules, too, which I'm not going to go over because we're all very familiar with that now since we've had about 40,000 Elimination Chambers since then. But, yeah, I don't know. I was really, really curious. Like, I could easily, to me, I think... I would have probably, I don't think I did buy the show just because I was young and didn't really have the option. But I think if I was an adult with some disposable income, the intrigue of seeing this this uh, chamber would have maybe sold the show for me.
2: I have fallen for this tactic uh, officially twice. Uh, not so much here because I was going to get it anyway. But uh, Uncensored 96, I fell for it when they showed the Doomsday Ooh. Cage to end Hulkamania on main event that night. I fell for it. Um, and then I also fell for it, uh, Slamboree 2000, the triple cage. Oh, I fell for it.
1: All right. Well, well, I could I think we can assume that the, this match at least goes a bit better than the, the, the two does. you just mentioned.
2: <laughs> it is kind of crazy because you can, but you are right at the time, at the time it's very much shrouded in mystery. Looking back on it, you can, if you've seen it, you realize they're kind of showing you what it is, but
0: mm-hmm.
2: yes. But the first time you see it hanging from the garden and it's all black and you know, I don't think they showed it on heat. Didn't they? I think they maybe even say something like, we're not going to show it to you here fans. You're going to have to tune in.
1: Right. Yeah, I don't think they did. I think it's a, and it's just the restraint because they're not always restrained with this stuff because they're so worried. Like they want you to buy the show, but they kind of held back. But like you said, they give you enough to where you kind of feel like you probably know what it's going to look like, but without ever actually completely saying like, "Here's the chamber. This is what it'll look like." Like they show you, like you can piece together because they kind of show you what each part's going to look like, but never all at once, which I think is and a you good can tell strategy. That, uh-
2: Mm-hmm. The branding wasn't officially complete because when Bishop's going over the rules, he calls what we would, I guess, now call the pods chambers, which made me think that I think it's over time, it's kind of lost that aspect of it. Like, you know, I mean, yes, it's still the Elimination Chamber, of course, but I was like, oh, it would have probably been a good idea to just call them chambers forever, but they started calling them pods later.
1: You have the four mini chambers and then the one big chamber. The, yeah. Uh, the, sub, the sub chambers within <laughs> –
2: the, well,
1: the, I mean, the we, can't ch- we can't give them
2: full We can give them full chamber credit. They weren't born here in the chamber.
1: <laughs> but the the construction workers were great. That was a, a pop for that. I was not expecting to have, you know, <laughs> Chuck in his hard hat explaining to me the um, how structurally sound this thing is.
2: There's some bitch gonna rock your world, there's two miles of chain.
1: Right, They're the miles of chain. Two miles of chain. Two I miles of that, chains. And how expensive, like, and that's another thing when you see this, th- them talking about, you like, man, this sounds really expensive to build.
2: What did it cost to fly the hell in the cell over to Saudi Arabia? I mean, they just piss that money away now. It doesn't mean shit to them. But, yes, how, I mean, it's crazy. Absolutely All right. insane. All right.
1: All right. Speaking of ex- insanity, we head to the F view camera, which shows Steven Richards uh, back in the locker room, trying to get Stacy to market him as well. He wants to have the same treatment as tested with testicles. Um, but Stacy says she has her hands full growing the testicles, so she can't really help Stevie. He says that she could motivate him and he bends over and he wants her to cane him Um But unbeknownst to Stevie, Tess actually walks in, he grabs the cane, and he ends up hitting Stevie in the ass with the cane rather than Stacey and they have a good laugh about it. And then they kind of implied that Stacy kind of wants Tess to hit her with the cane too. So, you know, gotta titillate us with that, Johnny.
2: Now there's there's only one thing that could be that could interrupt watching Stacey Keebler get spanked that would not send me off the deep end, because I think that's something that I would probably watch. They are interrupted by The greatest segment in the history of our sport. I am so freaking happy I got to see one live and in living color. Take it away. Tell us what happened.
1: The Randy News Network cuts us off. Um, Randy shows up to let us know he suffered a setback. His sling is chafing him. But luckily, he was given some ointment by the doctor. He applied it and has cleared up the, that nasty chafe that his uh, sling was causing him. And he wants to thank the fans, and because of them, he has persevered. And to send all your message to getwellrandy at www.campcom. And this has been another Randy News Network update. Johnny.
2: I fucking love it. I'm, oh, my God, I remember these so well. Um, it was so well done. Uh, The chafing, he's like he the self seriousness. I was a little disappointed we didn't get a percentage update because that's what I remember deep in my heart. But his performance on selling that it's okay though. The doctors quickly identified the chafing, applied an antibiotic ointment, and the sweat and the itching has subsided. Like it's perfect delivery. Oh, I don't like I mean is anyone else surprised this guy's like an 88 time champion? Now, I don't agree with all of them, but this this is great. I'm so entertained. All right, it's stars. awesome.
1: Segment it's of great. the week. It's so awesome, too, because before he had the injury, he kind of had no personality. He was the most he generic babyface. Yeah, the most generic. Pretty impressive in ring for a young guy, but just no character. Just the most white meat baby face, nothing. And now they've kind of got this and they're giving him something to roll with. And it's going to be cool when he comes back because it's, it's making you remember him, which is what it should do.
2: Absolutely. And I mean, we know that he gets over, you know, through other, you know, through all kinds of means long-term, but yes, if this, you know, Compared to like Cena showing up on, you know, that episode of SmackDown that first time with like no build or what have you, and then he ends up becoming pretty vanilla. Orton was already there. These will make the audience have a reaction finally when he comes back.
1: All right. Yeah, it's good stuff. So it's brilliant. All right. We now hit to a, a very quick match here is where you get Stevie and Tess versus Goldust and Hurricane, the match that was built earlier. I was a little surprised, but this match went like all of ninety seconds. It was like ninety seconds of chaos. Like they didn't really tag even. It was just kind of them running in and out. And then Tess ends up winning with the pump handle. It was a you know, it was weird because I thought with all these guys in there, they, they would maybe put something together, like a quick little five minute decent match, but it was I don't know. It was just odd. Just no I think they even called on commentary. Like JR's like, there's not it, they're not even a Tagging in this thing, just in and out until test wins. So I would have star on it. I mean, it was okay, but I was maybe expecting at least a some kind of actual match here, which we didn't really get much of.
2: Literally the only thing, I mean, I'm not these guys are fine. I don't have a problem with them per se. I even kind of really like test to be honest with you. I think he probably should have went over at Survivor Series 99 for the title. But um the best thing of the uh, entire match was when J R Jr. junior on commentary was like King. I have some news for you. Shawn Michaels is still in the building, which I thought was a wonderful play off of the Shawn Michaels has left the building for longtime fans. And I really popped for that, but the match, not so much.
1: Yeah, not much going on here. Tess ends up laying out the hurricane for trying to, um, he, I guess for putting his hands on Stacy or something and says, that's what he gets for trying to touch the testicles. And then he even lays out uh, Stevie for good measure. So, Just all this, in essence, was to just put test over.
2: For sure. He has immunity, so.
1: The testicle push. Yes. All right. right. We then head backstage. Booker T confronts Triple H. We get a, a Terry Taylor cameo. He was kind of just stalking in the background here. But uh, Booker T says it's not just about winning. It's uh, about five guys who want to whip his ass in the Elimination Chamber. And um, I really like how they've made this. They've done a good job building not only the Sean Triple H stuff, but really making the Chamber all about how Triple H, over his time after being given the title, has made all these enemies and... um you know, like all these guys are out to get him, like whether it be Kane and RVD, who he kind of screwed over Booker T who feels like, you know, who has been pissed about beat triple H getting the title for no reason from the beginning. Like he has just besides Sean, who's his, like his main rival. He has all these other guys who are gun informed. So it really makes you feel like he's against the odds in the chamber. You know, like it's, I think it's pretty good storytelling that maybe they sort of stumbled into, but it works, I guess, good enough. But uh, Triple H says he's going to beat them all one by one until it's him and Booker, and then he's going to beat him uh, right before we go into their match. So, uh, what do you think of this whole um, Booker T uh, Triple H interaction?
2: Uh, I, I well, I mean, yes, I, I do appreciate the storytelling that you brought up. I do think that's great. Booker, he kind of botches the promo though a little bit. Uh, it takes him; he just you could just tell he loses his bearings a little bit. Um, but then Triple H kind of brings it back, you know, he he counts each opponent down one by one until he's given him the finger. I don't know. It's pretty typical, I felt like. Uh, but that's not to mean that it, you know, the storytelling as a as a grand on a grand scale was bad. I just I don't know. It, I kind of felt bad embarrassed for Booker and that threw me off.
1: Yeah, I do think they've done a decent job of trying to elevate him into this and make him feel like he fits in this in this um And like this main event scene, I guess.
2: I was blown away that we're getting the WrestleMania main event. I always like little things like this. Like if you were to show me some random episode of SmackDown where like John Cena fights, uh, I don't know, uh, Shawn Michaels. That's not a very good example. He's had better main events than Shawn Michaels. But like when you get like a WrestleMania like style main event match like a year before and they were just different characters.
1: Right. You get that a lot of these, honestly, like it happens more often than you would think, where it's just a matter of them having TV every week and needing to come up with some main event or some interesting matchup for that week and you end up trotting out something and it ends up being a much bigger deal down the line. So I'm with you. No doubt. Yes. So we're going to get Booker T versus Triple H at our main event here. Booker T comes in hot, as always. Um, he's really good in that role. It's just a fired up baby face. Um, and it's i i it was good too because that's what's been missing what i've been complaining about on these raw main events is that they've been despite like with a lot of the kane triple h stuff i felt like it, it came off a bit tepid for as heated as it should have been how pissed off kane should have been at triple h it was kind of the matches end up being a bit ho-hum so i like that booker t comes in with his fire as triple h has kind of been dogging him and so he comes in pissed off Um, I kind of like that in this match they never really go with the long heat segment and like it's a lot of Booker T fighting from behind but he's always constantly like hitting something like kind of doing the Ricky Morton where he's not just selling the whole time he's kind of getting these hope spots in consistently so you never get that problem that happens sometimes in these Triple H matches of this era where he's just wearing the guy down the crowd it's a little bit. It starts to plot a bit. The crowd starts checking out because Booker is always kind of fighting out of stuff and giving the crowd a little bit to bite on, like it keeps them in it. Um, but Flair ends up distracting, which allows a low blow and a pedigree for the win. And uh, it was fine for the short time it got. They never really got enough time to really get cooking with it. It was very, very paint-by-numbers with the kind of fuck finish at the end just to establish Flair as a factor as usual and kind of protect Booker T so he's not losing clean. Um, it's really a lot more about the, uh, the segment we'll talk about after, but I went a gentleman's two on this one, nothing real great, but not bad either.
2: Yeah, the same. I mean, I would, I would call this match just, I guess, kind of pretty typical. Um, you know, the, there's a guy in the front row that has a sign that says Hogan fears Alf. And that just made me picture like Hulk and Alf having an argument. And I don't know. I enjoyed it quite a bit. The match itself, however, I did not enjoy as much as my fantasy. But, you know, like you said, I gave it, you know, two and a half, which I'm kind of using as a signal for it. it wasn't bad. It wasn't good. It was just sort of there. Mm-hmm. And when he hits the yeah. pedigree, I specifically counted to see how long before he covers him, and it's only two seconds.
1: Well, we'll see what changes in the future.
2: Yeah, yeah. But, uh, well, you know, we'll... Triple H just hasn't had that part of him awakened
1: yet. Right, we'll see what the differential ends up being in a few months. Uh, but like I said, the the main, the real, the real focus here is on this post match segment as Sean comes out, Big Jericho Kane. All of the participants on Elimination Chamber head out to the ring and start brawling. Kane tosses Rob at one point to kind of get over that, even though they're both faces, that it is every man for himself. Kane gets some shots hit on Triple H, but ends up beating a spinebuster. Just kind of back and forth, everyone getting their shit in, hitting their key spots. But we end on Shawn reversing the pedigree and hitting one, actually hitting a pedigree on Triple H. But Jericho is actually the one to stand tall at the end as he plasters Shawn Michaels with a chair to in the show at our last view of all these guys before the pay-per-view and that's how the we end last The last
2: thing we were left with the king of my world.
1: <laughs> yes, right. Which yeah. saliva is going to be a part of the show, so.
2: Did you see when uh Booker T did his like jumping sidekick, he landed right on Kane's gut and Kane visibly retches like ooh, like not in character retching, like literally like right. holy shit dude, you landed on my stomach.
1: Yeah, he hits some wild ones sometimes. That scissors kick does not always connect how it's supposed to. Like it can kinda it um he lands those a little sloppy sometimes and kind of cracks guys in the back or something, like in the lower back or on the top of the head, or he's not always super precise with that move. He's get he's a little rough on the delivery. <laughs> um uh, but, yeah, so it kind of just – it's our t- your typical kind of – when you're going to have a multi big multi-man match of the pay-per-view, let the guys all brawl it out and go home. It's, you know, trying true wrestling stuff. But that wraps up Raw. Um, so this Raw, I thought I thought it was um, a bit better than the more crappy ones that I've been getting. The Like I said, the move – I've been saying the move away from the Katie Vick stuff into the chamber has really i think give them a bit of a shot in the arm it's made them focus a bit more and it's been a breath of fresh air because the last two months before the um the uh survivor series with the elimination chamber has been a lot of you know triple h feuding with a guy kind of shits all over him, beats him at the pay-per-view rinse repeat so it's nice to see that this is more you know we have a lot of guys in the mix uh you know just a good change of um and even a bit more focus on some of the other matches. Just overall, it felt like a more focused show when Raw has really got meandering in the last couple months. Nothing real great in ring, but it was just more about the hard sell for the pay per view. So I went. I gave it a solid five out of ten on this one, Johnny.
2: Yeah, I. So I always feel kind of bad with like out of ten rankings because you know mm-hmm. you hear. Even like I, I was leaning towards six, and it's like, God, ah, that kind of makes it sound like it was bad. And, and I got to say, it wasn't bad at all. Um, You know, if you're like a wrestling purist, no, it's not going to do anything for you. But I had a great time seeing like RNN, seeing Bischoff, you know, looking kind of young and spry. I, I really liked the uh, 2002 GM storyline reboot that they did. I mean, it was a hard reboot, uh, mm-hmm. major course correction, but bringing in Bischoff and Stephanie and having the, Grand competition actually means something like bischoff always had a built-in motivation even if he wasn't like feuding with austin you know to p- compare him to mcmahon so i i really dug it i enjoyed this little snap in time it was fun you know i live in cincinnati it was fun to see like oh it was in cincinnati um i had forgotten that about this but yeah I, I think ultimately you have to land with something like a five if you're looking at it from a wrestling standpoint but you can really have fun with the show if it's something that you're into if you're into this time frame.
1: Yeah, I just thought it was a perfectly fine solid piece of wrestling television to build to a big show, which it's fine. It's you know, it's much better than the um, you know, some of the raws have really been pretty outwardly really bad. And this one definitely wasn't. It was it was a fine entertaining show. Just, you know, maybe it didn't stand out like I don't know if it's one you're going to go back and it's going to be historically good or something, but it's perfectly fine. Did its job. Which yeah, is okay for sure. Not every Like wrestling shows don't need to be like fantastic, you know, you know, insane shows every week. It's just not really built for that. I'm fine with that. I just I'm happy it's not bad (laughs) this week.
2: Yeah, not every week can be you know the that special episode where Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty wrestle and the kid beats Razor, and or on the other end of the spectrum of like Monday Night Raw, the Katie Vick stuff, which also stands out as oh my god, I can't wait to rewatch that episode. But for other reasons. Um, right. this is right in the middle. It's It doesn't have anything where you could point out and be like, it's the greatest or it's the worst, so it's fun to watch. It's literally just weekly wrestling. And every once in a while, I think that's okay. All
1: right. Yep, we'll see how SmackDown's effort compares. So we'll head to the SmackDown from uh, November 14th, 2002. We are live from Columbus, Ohio. Uh, we get a long recap of the Brock Heyman big show storyline that they're really pushing. Again, this is a lot of them – Really trying to put a lot of emphasis on this to legitimize show and kind of get this whole storyline over, which I appreciate. It's fine.
2: Yeah, this was this was fun for me. I was actually at this SmackDown Live on Tuesday right. night uh, for the taping of it, uh, which was weird for me because I don't really go to Columbus for stuff a lot. But it was a it was a, I remember it was a lot of fun. It's probably like I don't know. This I don't mean this to sound pretentious, but I've been doing a, a couple of. Televised wrestling events over the years, and sometimes it's fun to go back and rewatch it. Like I was at uh, um, a, the SmackDown shortly after uh, Angle wins the belt in Pittsburgh after 9/11, and uh, I've rewatched that show many times. I was at the episode of Sunday Night Heat that didn't air; it was just a radio broadcast due to technical difficulties out of the Nutter Center in Dayton, um, and I've rewatched that numerous times. But I've, I don't think I've ever rewatched this. This was my first time
1: awesome well i'm glad you get to relive it um and i'm sure you'll have some nice tidbits from being there live that we'll get to
2: i was pretty high so (laughs) we'll see um but but i remember i remember
1: yeah if not you could just make it up it's all good (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, all right, so we have Mark Lloyd who tries to get a word uh, about Brock's condition from Paul Heyman. Paul Heyman is very defensive and says, why does he ask Taker? Taker guy. Um, the same thing happened to him weeks ago, and nobody's asking about Taker, or whether or not he's hurt and um, can't do anything. He says Brock has a broken rib, and he's not going to be here because he's recovering. And, he, and sh- Big Show shows up and says that if uh, Brock does not show up, he is going to call him out so kind of sets up some intrigue for the show as a a will brock show up or will brock not show up on the show to um to take big shows um challenge
2: live johnny c was very angry to hear that brock lesnar would be at the show he was attending uh i remember that specifically and hoping this is so funny because even though i'm you know smartened up to it the whole time i'm thinking oh man i hope that it's just an angle and he's really here because i came to see (laughs) you know brock lesnar
1: well, they're not going to make it way long, Johnny. So at least no, you have that they because they, they don't dr- they, they don't draw it out too long, as we'll see in a second. But um, and, our opening match for, here. Uh, mm-hmm.
2: well, I was going to say thanks oh, for including me in that. That was Mark Lloyd because I have who is this guy like six times. I just he's one of those guys I don't remember. My oh, fault. So Sorry, I, I'll
1: I only know from doing the pod. It probably took me three episodes of, and I'm taking notes for our podcast for me to <laughs> consistently remember who it is. I was like, wait, who's this guy? And then after about a month of him showing up, um. I was able to remember. Yeah, he looks very much like a guy who would do like infomercials or something.
2: Yeah, he looks like um uh god, who's the, the guy on TNA?
1: Oh, oh like uh a Bo- borash Borash. Yeah,
2: he looks like he looks like Borash's older half brother.
1: <laughs> Borash's half brother, Mark Lloyd.
2: Yeah. Mark but, Lloyd but Borash. Adopted half brother, maybe, because you know, they don't look a ton alike, but they could be adopted half brothers. Yeah, that's
1: a thing. spike spiky blonde hair. That's the main trait yeah. that's share. Uh, um announcing sorta. Of. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, well, yeah, our, we, gotta our, get, our own... we gotta
2: get some of these blonde headed boys on TV. Huh? Huh? Hey Patterson? <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> Vince is uh he's like, We gotta get a boar ash over here. We need our own boar ash. Good Mark Lloyd. Um, Give me
2: a anyway, Ha-ha.
1: our opening match is going to be uh, everyone's favorite Chavo versus Edge. Um,
2: Ooh,
1: Chavo! They, they announced the uh, big triple threat tag at Survivor Series. It's going to be um, Ray and Edge, Chavo and Eddie versus Kurt and. Um, and Benoit, so a triple threat tag team match. We get a lot of a lot of this was um and I thought it was it worked well because if you just look at this on paper it should be like Edge just destroying Chavo based on, you know, Edge's size and his billing compared to Chavo, but I thought they did a good job of since Edge is the face and maybe needs to sell a bit and get some sympathy of kind of framing it that Chavo is using his craftiness to kind of work around being overmatched with Edge. Like um like a uh, But, so I I thought that was good. So it kind of made the, um, like when Edge is kind of getting worked over, it made it a little more believable. They have a sick spot where um, Chavo gets hit with a mid-air dropkick and completely shit. That was a nice spot. Like I said, it is a bit weird, though, to see Edge working so much from underneath against Chavo. But I I think they did an okay job for it. But um, he ends up reversing the um, Tornado DDT to win in a pretty fun quick match with some cool counters and big spots. Um, a pretty good opener for SmackDown. I ended up going two and a quarter, Johnny.
2: Yeah, Edge in this period, I don't know. I hope that he invi- like invited Rob Zombie to his wedding or like sent him a really nice note every Hanukkah or something because uh, I cannot overstate or understand whatever the fucking phrase is. Edge being one of the few guys who got chosen to have like a real song as his entrance music really mm-hmm. went a long way to making him stand out as someone that like, it's it's kind of a nice way of showing your audience that this guy is getting extra attention paid to him, without you know going like the Roman Reigns route and making him give like you know bad interviews like back in the day when they were trying to get him over as a face. It's a small thing. Like I don't I don't like I don't like or dislike Jungle Boy. I really don't watch a lot of AEW, but I love Tarzan Boy by Baltimore. Yeah? So when my son's watching AEW and they say Jungle Boy is about to come out, I sit down and I wait. him to come out now a theme song is not the most important thing in the world and i've jokingly mentioned songs a lot but edge having this real rob zombie song made him stand out so much when he was still trying to find his way as a singles guy i don't think it can be uh you know ignored which is why i've rambled for two minutes about it
1: (laughs) no he's hit the jackpot throughout his career though like from being part of the Brood, which that music's awesome, and then he gets to Rob Zombie, and then later in his career he has like that altar Bridge, which is a cool entrance too. He's yeah he's done pretty well sure. throughout his career on the entrance and the music front. Yeah,
2: and I I, I actually got, you know Michael Cole gets a lot of shit, uh, especially during Edge matches for his Edge related puns and ridiculousness. But you know it's not a new thing. He's still screaming words like Educator, Education. Like it's the Edge Army, Cole.
1: <laughs> yeah, they really get their head shit in. Yeah, they do Yeah, he edge is like I find on here he's just at the brink of like where they're maybe laying it on a little bit too much and trying to push him, but they're not quite there. It's like just where you're like, Man, if they would go a little bit further, I'd probably think it was annoying.
2: Is it it's weird for me too in this day and age because um you know, WWE has, has been a generational product, and they'll, you know, they would bring in, it's like a special occasion, like, oh, Hogan's coming back for one match at Mania, or Austin's going to be the special ref in this big match, or Rock is finally coming back. To me, now that Edge is one of those guys, it's so weird to me, because he was mm-hmm. never that that big for me, because when he was the guy, it was a a part of my fandom that just wasn't as strong but like some Mm -hmm. to some people and it's okay edge is like the Shawn michaels to them or the hogan or the whatever and it's crazy to me but again fun to go back and see him in this stage
1: agree um would you would you think of the match you have a rating on the uh match i I gave it
2: i gave it two and a half which to me again is just it's Mm -hmm. really just right there it didn't It didn't offend me. It didn't entertain me beyond belief, but it was okay to watch perfectly. And I was, I had, I had in my head as I'm watching this, you know, trying to remember what it was like there. And I was like, where is everybody else? I remember a bunch of shenanigans. And then later on, it would all come back to me and we'll get there. But I remember watching this live or watching this on TV just now thinking, this isn't what I remember. I just had it confused with the last match.
1: All right. All right, we head to Ray backstage. He tells Mark Lloyd that he's proud of Edge, but before he could really say much else, we see Brock walk in. And so <laughs> you weren't disappointed for long because it was like kind of a swerve because you're thinking, oh, they're going to milk this and Brock will show up at the end. But 10 minutes into the show after the opening match, he's like, oh, wait, he showed up. He's <laughs> He didn't listen to Heyman.
2: I do not believe, okay. It, first of all, when Brock walks in, Ray, like Ray is giving the interview to Mark Lloyd. Brock is off camera. Ray cuts the interview and he goes, "Oh, yo, Brock, you okay? How the ribs?" I don't yeah, yeah, for a sec- true. <laughs> I don't believe for a fucking second that Brock, Le- like, if Brock Lesnar was a real person, that he wouldn't have just like grabbed Ray Mysterio by the throat and thrown him and be like, "Don't ever talk to me, nerd." <laughs> right, right, I, just, I, I just don't believe that. So he's, he's losing credibility points by the second. And then I see that he's wearing the fucking shirt with his own band's name on it or if you're a professional sports entertainer wearing the shirt of the pay-per-view you're about to perform on and he looks like a goddamn uh jobber
1: <laughs> he's wearing the survivor yeah,
2: series t-shirt
1: <laughs> that's funny but yeah it's um yeah so he just immediately shows up so no suspense here brock is in the building he's he's not backing down so oh he does
2: little... he does yell ray it's fun. <laughs> Don't worry about <laughs> it. My ribs are great.
1: Right, they're really trying to put the face over, like, cause you know, a month ago, Brock wouldn't have even, like you said, yeah, if you he... would have saw Ray, he would have beat the shit out of him for no reason.
2: Is the, I remembered this being a heel versus heel main event feud. It's not though, is it? He's like an official tweener, isn't he? At this point. I mean, I know. Oh yeah, that, definitely. Okay, I, I won't spoil the pay per view in case someone hasn't seen it. I mean, obviously, this is like that's like the icing on the cake for okay, everybody, it's it's done. We've turned. Yeah,
1: Marcus and I talked about it at no mercy, but for the moment he beats Taker and is standing at the top of that cage, like, you know, like he's a conqueror, it's, by that point, it's going to be hard. And I think they realized it to their credit that it was like, man, it's going to be hard to keep this guy heel because the crowd's going to want to cheer him because he's such a badass.
2: Right, but he's already getting some of that diesel rubbing off on him. You know, the wimpy diesel, the, <clears> hey, <throat> I'm diesel. I'm going to be at the mall as opposed to that. I don't know. Maybe I'll be at the mall. Maybe I won't. They're going to have some, uh, some wheat there, Sean. I don't know. (laughs) Fuck it. Uh, You know, but he wasn't, he's already losing cool Brock points.
1: All right. We'll see. Uh, So we hit backstage to uh, Al and Dawn planning their wedding. Uh, Dawn hands him an invitation for the wedding and says that it's um it is for for tori um she uses a double negative when she says you can't not invite your daughter which bothered me a bit (laughs) Uh, Mm -hmm. she wants to uh, mend the fences with tori and al agrees and heads off to uh talk to tori about coming to the wedding so clearly dawn has ulterior motives um (laughs) you know it's not purely just based on her love for al wilson yeah
2: i just i i have one note al wilson head movements he's he's like what do I do with my hands? He doesn't know what the he's, fuck to do with his head, though.
1: He doesn't know what to do with anything. Like, he constantly looks in the at the camera. Like, I don't think he does a, this one as bad, but we're going to see him in a little bit. And he's just going to stare into the camera, like, with well, his dead eyes.
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't he's even...
1: A, uh, I don't go know.
2: ahead. It's weird. And the dog... I don't, I'm not... I, hey, I have nothing against Don Marie. Uh, I just this this stuff is not only boring and bad acting, but like I don't Don Marie again. I just kind of feel bad for. her. They're just putting her out there, and I don't really think she has anything going for herself personally. And it's just like next, please, please just move on. You know, I don't know. She's not my scene.
1: Gosh. All right, um, Heyman lectures Brock on showing up, tells him that he shouldn't be here. Uh, Brock says that he's here because he's the champ. Heyman continues to try and get Brock to see that his reign works because they're a team. The same kind of, um, the the same spiel uh, Heyman's been given throughout this whole storyline about that it works because Heyman makes the decisions. Brock goes in and does the work, and this is how it works. But he's got to listen to Heyman for this to work. He's got a broken rib, and there's nothing Heyman can do to protect him against a monster like the Big Show when he has a broken rib and um, yeah, it's the thing about this is I think if Heyman wasn't so good, this could feel real force because they are kind of, they're kind of accelerating this, the Heyman Brock kind of the strife between them. But I think because Heyman is so good at getting the point across, sometimes I think his detriment is that he can be a bit repetitive because he, he knows what he's trying to get across and a lot of times. he'll just hammer it home in pretty much the same way every time. But I think in wrestling, that sort of works because that's kind of what you're supposed to do in wrestling sometimes is just hammer it home so much that it's ingrained into the viewer's head. But I think it works because he is so good. I think with someone lesser kind of pushing this across, it maybe wouldn't, you know, it would feel a lot more forced. So I think credit to Heyman on that front.
2: Yeah, I have have two things to say about this segment. And the first one is praise for Heyman, definitely um he's good i like that he's adding realism to this in a way that he's he says a specific line to brock he's like brock what happened last week or two weeks ago or whatever he's like i didn't go to the ring with you and you won your match and then the big show snuck up from behind if i mm-hmm. was there i could have warned you and it's like well yeah because he could have been like brock brock uh, you know, right. right but it just it makes sense it's like it's like holy shit it's not a loud bombastic piece of Sports entertainment, it's just, yeah, I could have just let you know, bro. Like, I should come to the ring with you. And I give him a lot of credit for that. It's a small thing, but it goes a long way. Uh, the uh, Aside from that, though, I do have a concern. Brock mm-hmm. Lesnar's <laughs> – he calls himself Brock Lesnar, okay? Uh-huh. And my note says, "What is that his real name? Is it possible he doesn't know how to say his own name? Or is it possible <laughs> I, I don't know how to say his name? So right. he says Brock Les, like L E S Sner, and I think the rest of us say Brock Lesnar, like Les, L E Z. Right, Les. Yeah. Who's wrong here? And am I, I mean, am I reading things in here? Is this, is this a deep state takeover of Brock Lesnar? Has he been maybe replaced by the pod people?
1: Maybe he's like putting more emphasis on the end before he gets to the R, like Lesn R. Where yeah. we're going like Lesnar. I don't know. Maybe it's the uh that kind of Minnesota, North Dakota, where the hell he's from kind of accent that that northern almost Canadian. I,
2: yeah. He's like, <laughs> I'll tell you why I'm here, Paul, because I'm Brock Lesnar. And I was just lord. <laughs> I was like, Holy shit, he's already concussed, he doesn't know who he is.
1: I think you should reach out to him on social media and see if he'll respond. <laughs> Brock Lesnar's really
2: social media is a rock and something to right. beat it on to cause a fire all right
1: right right. you, <laughs> you send it. him a um a carrier pigeon
2: yeah exactly send him a raven uh you know jesus yeah i i do kind of like this idea of brock lesnar just making a fire with a with one rock just like banging it on himself
1: right i don't know <laughs> just ask him like um hey uh, brock how do you say your name I'll tell you how to say my name. Get the
2: fuck off my property. I'm a gun owner. It's my right as a citizen.
1: Right. He just shows up at your house with an assault rifle.
2: Right? Exactly.
1: Um, anyway. All right. We enter to our next match. It's going to be Tajiri and Rikishi versus Cena and Matt Hardy. Quite a random assortment of teams thrown together here. Uh, not too much going on in this match. Very basic formula action. Um, the The main thing that stood out to me is that very strange finish where, like, I don't know what happened here, but Tajiri like hits this faceplant move on Matt Hardy, but they kind of play it as a double knockout, and then Matt kind of rolls over and gets the pin, even though this was like Tajiri's move. But I don't know, real odd finish there for Matt to get the win. But everything before that was really it was real basic stuff. Nobody really stood out and did anything of any real note. Didn't get a whole lot of time, and with the weird finish, it was. Kind of didn't make for anything too fantastic, and also didn't serve much of a purpose as far as building anything. It just felt like they were killing a few minutes of time. So I just want to start on this one, Johnny. Um. So I felt the
2: opposite that you did, and I'm not. Yeah. I'm not doing this in a sticky way. I, I really enjoyed right. this. I was. Uh, I had right. a couple like there were some things I were interested in here. First of all, I loved Matt Hardy version one. It's an all timer to me uh this week his he was the fear factor champ in his Matt facts and he also says that he likes guacamole and michael Cole is like oh great we're so lucky to know that matt hardy likes guacamole and taz is like oh cool i love guacamole he's a little little mexican (laughs) luchador uh but i was also excited that that popped me but i was excited to get to see well first of all i thought it was hardy against cena and then they're like and his tag team partner and I was like, oh, shit, we got a straight, legit heel Cena here. And I was really excited to, to see what he did differently as a heel. But then I forgot that John Cena didn't really know how to wrestle at this point. But, hey, I don't know how to wrestle either, so who am I to judge? But, you know, I didn't get a whole lot out of specifically watching to see what heel things he did. Because anything heel that he did was just kind of, like, distract the referee by moving or letting go of the tag rope. It wasn't anything sinister. But I also liked that... Um, Rikishi comes down to the ring in like a towel that says Rikishi on it and he you know when they announce him he goes in the ring and he ta- he rips the towel off and his fucking uh, diaper says Rikishi in the exact same spot <laughs> and it seemed like it was fucking something out of the naked gun where like a person <laughs> rips off their shirt they have the same shirt on underneath it's
1: <laughs> good branding by Kish <laughs> there yeah
2: <laughs> We go, oops, right? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I don't know. Like, I, I thought it was funny. And Michael Cole's like, Rikishi and Tajiri don't have a whole lot in common, but they're working well as a tag team. And Tess goes, What are you talking about, Cole? They got a lot in common hair, feet, hands, <laughs> a lot in common. Um, and then when, when the heels celebrate, when Matt, like jumps into Cena's arms, and Cena has to lift him. Cena has this amazing look on his face, like, are we doing this? Okay, we're doing this. Like, oh, I don't know if I like this, but we're doing it. And he's like, yeah, yeah. And he lifts him up, and he puts him on his shoulders. And I was just, I was dying, because you know that if Matt Hardy did that, you know, nowadays, he'd, he'd go in the back and probably get yelled at by Vince or something like that. But he's out there, and he's improv he's being a, a, a chicken shit heel. Um, I could go for a Matt Hardy version one, John Cena, early stages tag team. I don't think they do it, but I was very entertained. I gave it three stars, uh, entertainment right. stars. I don't know. I didn't rate it as a wrestling match. I, I love this.
1: Oh, I love the bat now the character. I love Matt Hardy at one point now, That that could be fun though. Like Cena as like a um kind of like a meathead kind of dope. And then Matt yeah. Hardy kind of rides his coattails a bit. Yeah, I can get down yes. with that.
2: Yes. <laughs> like Matt Hardy convincing John Cena that it's a good idea to like uh you know, steal the, like, steal the, the Dean's car, like, the Dean being like, Vince <laughs> McMahon or something. Like, and John Cena being like, okay, I'll do it. You know, like, uh, I don't know. It's too late for that to happen, uh, but I'm enjoying the little movie I'm seeing in my mind right now. Matt Hardy and John Cena getting all sorts of shenanigans with the characters and Omega, Beta, Zeta, Thigh, Chug, Fraternity. Mm-hmm.
1: I can take the three stars, the absurdity entertainment stars. I'm down with that for their Kishi, just the three stars for their Kishi towel to diaper combo branding. <laughs> it was branding.
2: amazing. I don't want to oversell it, but it just really hit me in the right spot when I was watching it.
1: You have to make a GIF of it, um, of him. Yeah, for off the sure. Towel to-
2: <laughs> for sure, if, if, if Peacock will let me. there I miss the old WWE Network because I could screen cap shit on my phone and right. uh, post, post it you. to Twitter and be like, look how clever I am, guys. I found this wrestling thing that we all forgot about that's really funny. Huh?
1: I know. It's, no, it's I a do bummer. do that all
2: the time. I do it all the time. Um, right. It's a bummer. Yeah.
1: No, I'm with you about the screen cap thing. It sucks. I used to, like, for the pod, I would, like, get little video clips and be like, on oh, the next uh, Ruthlessly Aggressive, this moment. But now it's like – now you're in this weird spot where it's like I don't know. Do I like film the screen with my phone? and It's gonna look kind of shitty. Yeah, it's it's a uh, bummer.
2: I filmed the screen with my phone before. I have to admit it. I was I've gone through some yeah, me too. Yeah, to get screen captures. Uh, you know, pull it up on my iPad, take a picture of it with my phone.
1: <laughs> yeah, same thing. Uh, too bad. We miss you, OGWW Network. All
2: yeah, right. I uh, yeah yeah I miss you.
1: Uh, anyway. Well, I miss you. <laughs> All right, Angle complains to Benoit about costing the title. Benoit says he has the advantage winning the last two matches between them. Angle uh, tells him to watch his mouth, young man. Uh, they, yeah. Then they get into this weird, like, childish bickering about Angle um, says, I have more teeth. Benoit says, I have more hair. Then they go to I'm better, no, no, I'm better kind of argument thing. It, it is weird. Like, this is right up Kurt's alley, but I have to say, Benoit doing comedy stuff like this is real strange. And not just for yeah. you know reasons, just I think even at the time this was a little it just I don't know doesn't fit him super well. I know where they're doing it, and part of it is supposed to be that it is weird to see him doing that, and that's sort of the the humor of it, but I don't know, it doesn't quite land for me totally. Did you
2: now I I I know you probably watched on Peacock, I had the uncut version where yeah. there's one more there's one more insult. Angle says, geez, Benoit, you're crying like a weeping willow, and Benoit says. Kurt Angle, watch out or I'll smother you with a pillow.
1: Oh, yes, I do think that was good. Oh, I do think, I think that one was cut. <laughs> but forward. I was
2: there live, so I remember that happening. It's oh. so awkward to see Chris Benoit do this shit.
1: Yeah, yeah, the comedy stuff is, is real weird. But I mean, that's I get it, because it's Kurt.
2: It, it, <laughs> I, and that's what bugged me so much, is that I'm watching it and I'm like, this is kind of funny because, you know, you. Seeing Benoit do like a Brady bunch, Dan versus Marsha, I one one versus the other. <laughs> well, I'm ten times better than you. Well, I'm eleven times better than you. Like it, right. it's funny, because Benoit is such a serious quote unquote character. But then it's like, oh yeah, he's kind of a, I don't know. Usually I could separate that shit, but I was like, oh Benoit's so, like to me anyway, it because it's so kitschy. I'm like, damn, Benoit's pretty much bringing it in this segment because he's actually being funny when they are asking him to, but he's still Chris Benoit. What
1: are you going to do? All right. We have Paul Heyman trying to reason with Big Show now, so trying to kind of advocate for Brock. He says um, he wants Big Show to save him for Survivor Series, uh, kind of butters up Big Show saying he knows how great he is, that he beat – I like the little um, the callback to saying that he beat Hogan in his prime, kind of going back to his WCW days. But, um and he says to just wait and take Brock when he's 100%. And show responds, by says maybe he won't call him out or maybe he will. So making no promises here. So just more like Heyman stuff, trying to, you know, do his um, Heyman kind of talk his way out of a bad situation.
2: I'd remember this differently. I thought he was, like, pulling the Bugs Bunny reverse psychology on him because he, like, because in the last thing that Brock said, he had a plan. And I thought this was Heyman laying the groundwork for the plan, like, I'm gonna say, mm. don't call out Brock, because it'll make you call out Brock, and Brock's gonna like come up from behind or some shit. But no, it was just especially knowing where they're going. It's like uh I'll be interesting to listen to the next episode, even though I won't be on it, because I want to hear how they follow up. Was it a, like a decision that the Heyman character makes after this show? Was it the plan mm-hmm. all along? You know, like is it because, you know, Paul Heyman does this really great stuff where he, like, hugs the title and holds on to it like he's in fear of losing it, almost like it's his? Was it just, I'm sorry, buddy, I love you, but I just love this title more, like, which would kind of – I could get behind as, like, the agent of, you know, like, I couldn't lose this, man. This means too much to me. I never thought I'd be here, you know, with the, managing the WWE champion, so I can't wait to hear what the motivation is.
1: Yeah, like, is he plotting it this whole time, or was it like a spur of the moment kind of... Right. I, I guess he... Well, yeah, we'll see in the follow-up, but it is, a, it is... And they haven't really revealed it, or really hinted at it too much here. Like you said, his main, the only thing you know is that he's obsessed with the title, and he, he doesn't want Brock to lose it because that's... You know, he, he covets it, and he wants... You know, to be a part of it and to be responsible for it and all that. So
2: Yeah, I don't. I don't remember it being mm-hmm. like an asshole, like ha ha ha, we
1: got you. You know, like a big.
2: Now the master plan has been revealed. That's a really shitty Paul Heyman. But like, <laughs> you know, or just kind of like a. I'm sorry, I love you, Shawn Michaels situation, but I need this, so go right. get him.
1: Right, like I don't trust that you can win this match. Yeah. Right. All right, we have the Guerrero's now. They run into Edge and Ray backstage, and they say that they um, that even though the Edge and Ray were able to find their nut before Survivor Series, nothing is in the way of the Guerrero's. Ray fires back, but they end up mocking him um, by doing some over the top begging for mercy, kind of playing off of Ray being a small guy. <coughs> Edge suggests that if they're having a problem, why don't they fight tonight? And Edge kind of we get cool guy Edge doing some speaking some Spanish to kind of set up a match between Ray. And Eddie that we'll end up going straight into. Uh, any thoughts on this before we go into the match, Johnny?
2: Yeah, Chavo Guerrero's awful. He's <laughs> he's he's the weakest link of this whole setup. And you would think it would be Mysterio. But mm-hmm. Chavo's just an embarrassment to himself. But he is a former ECW champion, so respect.
1: Yeah, Ray's like one of those guys that he like his charisma in the ring is so good like as a wrestler that it kind of when even though he's not the greatest on Mike, it kind of like his in-ring ability almost like resonates when you see him backstage and can kind of cover up for his, maybe his shortcomings when he's cutting a promo or something. So he kind yeah. of gets that, which Chavo does it really have to help him out. No, no,
2: I it did. Uh, this segment made me miss Eddie Guerrero so much.
1: No, I'm not going like to harp on all
2: this sad shit, but it, he's so good.
1: He's great in these, like just so animated and you know, like I, I loved the little like, um, you know, you you already got your nut and all that. It's just it was fantastic. Mm-hmm.
0: And
1: again, I like all this Guerrero stuff, and we'll see how it plays into Survivor Series. But I just like the way that, you know, they're kind of inserting themselves into this whole scene with um, you know, the two former champions, like you know Ray and Ray and Edge are the champs, and then. Uh, ben Juan, Angle were the champs, and the Guerrero's are kind of looking in from the outside, but always keeping themselves around the title picture, which is we'll see how it ends at uh, Survivor Series. But,
2: I realized uh, in this segment that Eddie Guerrero in 2002 and Johnny C in 2021 have the exact same haircut. Now I don't <laughs> have now mine isn't like a stringy mullet. It's you know, but it's in that like same style, and I was like, well. Should I hate my haircut now? I don't know. I don't know what I'm supposed <laughs> to do here. Because I, I don't want to have a mullet, even though they're coming back, I guess. I don't know. It was it was, it was was a little frightening. Luckily, his charisma, you know, uh, took away my fears.
1: Yeah, I find the baseball player. I call it the baseball player mullet is coming back. Like, it's like that, I don't know how to describe it. It's almost like a mohawk mullet looking thing. Like, I feel like that's yeah. coming. I feel like you see a lot of, like, professional baseball players with that look.
2: I stole my haircut from uh, Hawkeye in the last Avengers movie where he has like that mohawk type deal. And, but it's evolved to like instead of being in a swoop, it's like in the exact same shape of Eddie Guerrero. <laughs> I swear to God, but it's not stringy, but that's kind of like, you know, I, it was just really eye opening. I'm like, I'm, man, am I too old for this shit? I don't know. <laughs>
1: Maybe it was subconscious. I mean, subconscious. You were just trying to be Eddie.
2: Oh, yeah, right? Holmes. No, that was me. Right. I, well, I didn't mean that in a mean way. I just saying I shouldn't do that. But, yes, Eddie Guerrero is a fucking champ.
1: It's fine. It's hard. I've had to stop myself many times because it's very tempting to do the Eddie. Well, it's it's well, the
2: thing is, it's so it's such a good character. Like Because he right, is. Right. I mean, you know, you, you, we've all heard Eddie Guerrero talk. And Eddie Guerrero's character do his thing. And the character is so uh infectious like we just want to be as cool as Eddie and I mean that I'm not just saying that because unfortunately he's been gone for way too long like Eddie's just I don't know he's he's so charismatic and sad I know I'm so glad Mm -hmm. I'm so I'm so I don't know like I, I, I don't know like I'm just so glad that like I, I think it's so cool that Vicky Guerrero got to come in and be like this long-term part of wrestling. Mm-hmm. In a way, like I don't know, it just kind of like that. I I I really like the fact that Charlotte Flair is like the continuation of the Ric Flair dynasty because I'm sure Ric Flair would have never told you in a thousand years that his daughter was gonna be the next him. Uh, just because I think Flair's a little older and probably didn't think that was possible. Uh, So I love the fact, you know, it's like this little poetry in these legendary characters that the the legacy went on because Vicky Guerrero became immensely entertaining once she got the gist of it, you know, very Mm -hmm. funny in an era where I didn't watch a whole lot, but, you know, her stick always entertained me. So I just, I don't know, I enjoy that type of synergy that, you know, a little bit got to keep going. That's the tangent
1: over. All good. All right, we go to Ray versus Eddie. Uh, super fluid wrestling holds to start, as you expect from these two. All of Ray's counters are just excellent. I mean, these guys obviously have a lot of history going back to WCW. Um, we get a actually the ref gets six one nine like five minutes into the match, which is a bit of a, a surprise, which allows Chavo to run in and hit the Gory Special until Edge comes in and wipes him out. But it kind of leaves Ray in a, a weakened state, and so. Um, he gets Eddie goes on the attack. Uh, he ends up powerbombing Ray. Ray's able to survive. Edge is able to come in and spear Eddie, again, as the ref is still reeling. Great pacing in this match. They kind of slow and pick up as into, into the big spots expertly. Again, these guys are obviously two of the greatest ever. Both guys bump their ass off like you'd expect for each other's move. Eddie is just a perfect heel for Ray. They can work, like, because he can kind of work Ray's style, but while still keeping the heel-face dynamic going, like, you know, he is can kind of play more of a power guy against Ray and kind of working him over, but he can do all these high-flying spots well too. And we get to the the finishing sequence, which is just fantastic. Like Eddie rolls out of the frog splash to get knocked into the 619, but he ends up recovering before Ray can do anything else, and then locks on the lasso um from El Paso to win, but using the ropes for a little bit of extra leverage. So just an awesome finishing sequence here, too, to give Eddie Eddie a, a good win, which Eddie doesn't always get. But I thought this was really awesome. Great match. These guys, of course, have excellent chemistry together. They told a good story of kind of, um, you know, a lot of the outside interference coming through at Eddie kind of stealing the win at the end. And, of course, using a little bit of lying, cheating, and stealing by using the ropes. But uh, I went three and three quarters. I thought this was a really awesome match, uh, Johnny. Good, Good yeah. TV match.
2: Mm-hmm. For sure. I remember this being there, sitting there watching it yeah live at the time thinking this is a long match but it's a long match in a good way like you would go back and tell your friends dude mysterio and guerrero had a long match and it was good like you know they get a commercial break and everything like that uh 2002 ray is awesome like this first legit smackdown six run of ray is awesome this is i think this is a forgotten part of the the uh smackdown six lore because you know the 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 shine starts to go off the bloom or whatever that cliche is you know the survivor series match kind of under delivers in my opinion um so it was cool to get to relive this um but i also feel it's a it's a really good i give it three and a half but i also feel like they, this is the kind of match that they can have in their sleep and just think about that because it was a really good tv match and they could do that pretty much without trying and winning with the lasso from el paso was awesome i, I would never have guessed that i would see that you, you know i just I kind of forget about The Lasso from El Paso, and it gets a lot of love in this episode.
1: Yes, and it's possible they could be... Maybe wanting want to make sure it's fresh in our minds for some reason.
2: Ah. As we'll see
1: down the line.
2: That sounds like That's, something that Bruce Pritchard would come up with. He's a genius.
1: <laughs> All right, we get back to the Al and Tori... Al, Tori, Dawn saga. Uh, Tori storms off on Al as we presume that he is... Um, he is... Um, Showed her the wedding invitation. Tori is wearing a very odd-looking outfit here. It's like jeans with some like black overlay thing on it. It was real strange-looking.
2: It's strange <laughs> it I mean, says vintage across the chest as well.
1: Yeah, just a very it's O2 vintage outfit. Vintage Tori
2: Wilson.
1: Yeah, a very O2 outfit she's got on. But she tells him that he's being used, and that Dawn is conniving, and that she's not she doesn't sincerely love him. is upset, and he wants her at the wedding because this is what's making him happy she still says no, and then she runs away, and then we are left with with Al Wilson staring directly straight into the camera for like five seconds, which is very unsettling. Um, Al's acting in this. I mean, Tori is not winning an Oscar or anything, but Al's acting is like the lowest of like low rent porn acting, just completely weird and stilted, and he's just an odd man. Like hes <laughs> he's like a weird like David Lynch character or something.
2: You called out that uh, he calls her Little Angel, which is just creepy. Uh,
1: yeah, like he's so weird.
2: And if you're really thinking about the logic of this segment, she gets to the arena, her dad catches her, tells her something, and then she has, she immediately leaves the arena.
1: Right. <laughs> so. Yeah, like it's just no match, or she did have a match. She bailed on it because she's so upset. Uh, yeah. Very, very weird. But it's not the last we'll see of them. All right, all right. We head to a um, another interesting relationship. Noble and uh, Nidia. They're going to come out. And Noble's to be facing Kidman. A real strange choice, given that um, they're going to be in a title match at the pay per view. To have them face off in a non title match right before. Not yeah, a what super the fuck is fa- this?
2: I, that, yeah, that not a big really fan of that. Me.
1: Yeah, it was real odd. I mean, I guess they're trying to preview it, but just do something else. Save it for the pay-per-view. Uh, I like the test. Yeah. Lets us know that Nidia was great on a blind date. He got the info from his buddy uh, Joey Numbers.
2: Oh my god, I have that in all fucking caps. Joey Numbers <laughs> saw Nidia on blind date. Hey, Joey Numbers saw Nidia on blind date. Cole, I love Joey. Which Numbers.
1: I like. I like that he acts like that's some inside scoop that like any that not anybody with a TV could have saw. Like. You know, he's got to have the inside source to tell him what happened on blind date. It's like you could have just watched it on syndication. Like it's not, it's not that Go hard down. task to get this info. I <laughs> love uh, it.
2: I I do the Chronosil podcast where we uh, I'm charged with reviewing ECW and uh, Taz commentary is fantastically entertaining if it's the right episode or if it's the right type of Taz and this was that right type of Taz, the Joey numbers Taz.
1: I love him. And he's he's so good because he can go into goofy stuff like this. But then like in this match, if he goes straight into, you know, he can pivot. He goes back and forth between the silly stuff and then kind of getting over like the actual wrestling so seamlessly. He's really like he's not a one trick pony, you know, he could kind of do both really well, which is awesome. I love to. He's great.
2: Mm -hmm. Kidman's the third person to have a Survivor Series shirt on. Probably forgot to mention that uh, Chris Benoit was wearing it, too.
1: The hard cells are jo- the hard sell. These guys
2: are These guys are jobbing themselves to help.
1: <laughs> right. Uh, great arm work by Noble throughout this match. He's kind of whipping um he's kind of whipping Kidman's arm into the mat, which was great. Uh more Taz one liners here. He says um Al has to wake up at the crack of dawn, which is a good Oh-ho. one.
2: <laughs> it's a crack of dawn, cool.
1: Superplex by Noble, but Kidman kind of bends into a quick pin for the win. So they didn't get a ton of of time for this. Again, a weird decision to even have this match. For what they had, it was some good fluid cruiserweight wrestling. I always dig how relentless Noble is in these matches. And um, I guess if their purpose was to get me ready for a real match, they served that purpose. But this one really didn't get enough time to do too much. I only would have started in half. But it does make me want to see a more legit match at the pay-per-view, I guess.
2: Yeah, I like getting to see Jamie Noble boy and Nidia. They they cracked me up. Um, I was a little bummed. I've watched Survivor Series 02. It's like one of those. T- I mean, I think that it's kind of got, earned this reputation, and rightly so, as being one of those pay per views where it's like every match, every match is pretty much decent, or to good or better. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was. Dismayed when Billy Kidman came out to this generic rock song because the Survivor Series he debuts his like DNX yes. theme music, and mm-hmm. I was I was pissed. Right. I was res- so you know again with the theme music, but <laughs> <laughs>
1: right, right. Um, but yeah, just a quick little preview of what's to come at the pay per view. All right. Yeah, I, we ba-
2: I went two mm-hmm. and a half
1: just to be nice.
2: Two and a half for normal set. Yep.
1: There you go. All right, we head backstage again. More Al Wilson as he tells Dawn that about Tori's disapproval. Dawn reassures him that age is just a number, and then holds him in her arms as she gives a sinister smile to the camera. So, oh,
2: that's see. what the script said. What the fuck was she doing? She was doing. <laughs> she was doing like I don't know. You could tell that she was having a really hard time writing that line between is her character happy that she's sunk her hooks in him or is she just happy because she's in love with him she's not winning the daytime emmy anytime soon
1: yeah definitely not a ton of um you know nuance in the dawn performance here yeah no. but anyway all right we carry on Heyman tells brock that show's intimidated and he got show to back off so they could leave brock counters by saying he's not going to leave and he's if show is not going to call him out he will call him out himself which leaves Heyman very upset and frantic um he's very frantic yeah he is like classic and like having a panic attack we didn't get a a nice little promo for smackdown shut your mouth on the ps2 great video game oh nice throwback is that the one Uh,
2: that's not uh the one where you could fight in new york city is it like
1: i don't think so i don't remember that part of it i I feel like by shut your mouth though I think my shut your mouth, though, was where they were really getting to the, like, intricate, like, season mode things where you, like, go backstage and, like, talk to different people and they would give you these weird lines and stuff. And you're, like, like getting the backstage, um, you know, like, movements into it and all, like, really making that a big part of the game.
2: Yeah, story mode definitely went a long way, for sure. Mm-hmm.
1: Great game. Uh, all right, we continue on. Angle apologized for being too predictable by beating everyone so much. He says he's a better athlete than Benoit. He's better looking than Edge. And unlike Ray, he could speak English. Um, the, that he could speak English. And unlike Ray, he's been through puberty. So more Angle uh, digs at Ray for being a child. And he well, says, right,
2: that after he can, says that he, right after he says <laughs> that, he, go, he says, Unlike Ray Mysterio, I've gone through puberty. And the audience kind of goes, Oh, and he goes, Oh, it's true. Like, kind of like <laughs> he says it in a way that he normally wouldn't do it. Like, oh, it's true. Yeah, it's mm-hmm, true. I don't know. It was so. fucking it just Kurt Angle. And one of my first no from years, and I won't I'll shut up so you can keep recapping. Oh, you're Kurt fine. and Eddie are just miles above the rest in these promos. They're just they stand like I know it's kind of cliche because we're talking about Kurt Angle and Eddie Guerrero, but it's just so evident whenever they're on the mic. They're miles above anybody else in the Smackdown six, of course. But most people on both shows, period.
1: Yeah, like, they're all, they're 100%, like, it's, you never feel like it's them doing a character, it just is them, which is, you know, it's, it's kind of a corny thing to say, but it's, I don't know how else to describe it, it's just, there's no separation there, you just feel like that's who they are, it's so natural, it's so organic, it's awesome.
2: Yeah, you think, Um, you you know, guys like, I mean, I have nothing against Finn Balor, I actually think he's, like, a really good wrestler, and he seems like a pretty decent human being, but. He's been, well, I don't know if he could do this. He's never been given the opportunity to, but like Kurt Angle's not out there with fucking memorized shit. He might, he's got an idea of what he's going to do and he just fucking makes it funny. Like these, you know, they're not, I don't know. It's a stark contrast to the stuff that's out there now in terms of being a character. It's really kind of sad.
1: So the Guerreras cut him off. They take exception to him, saying that he could win the tag titles on his own. And so do Ray and Edge, who head down also. And they all mention how they have all beat Angle at some other time. So a nice little counter. And then Angle says, he, as he's going into his match against his own partner, Benoit, he says that ah, he, f- he understands why they're out here. They're just out here to scout him so they can watch his match and maybe pick up a few pointers. So. Ends it on some classic, smug, delusional uh, angle stuff, which is great. Oh, yeah. And then we head into the match, which is going to be Ben Angle, a match that we've seen a few times at this point. Um, this is sort of a abbreviated version of, of mm-hmm. them, which is still very good, but you get some good mat wrestling, constant struggle on the mat. They start firing off the big moves, but they both end up getting distracted at different points because all of the competitors that are going to be in the triple threat match are on the outside. So that's kind of really the story of the match is them kind of joining with the competition. Kurt Kurt actually takes Benoit's uh deal and does the rolling Germans. And Kurt even pulls out the lasso from El Paso to kind of mock Eddie, um which in an awesome moment he's yelling at Eddie that the booth sucks because uh oh my Benoit, God, won't, so <laughs> Benoit won't Benoit ta- won't tap he won't tap out to it.
2: <laughs> the sucks. It's so awesome. I we going to like six times?
1: It's a great moment, but, um, which that kind of is the final fuse, the final um straw that sets off the powder keg outside and everybody ends up brawling and it just ends in a big DQ. So kind of similar. To what We saw with the chamber on raw is just a way the match was there. Was just because we needed something that was a match, but it was much more about building the tension between all these guys before the pay-per-view match. and Um, you know, just getting over the dynamic between all those. The match was still hard hitting and entertaining as you'd expect from these two guys. But again, it was match itself, I went two and a half, but very effective at building um between this match and the promos and stuff that came before it, um, a real solid way to put some focus on this um the big tag, which is really honestly kind of the 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 marquee match for smackdown i mean i know the brock stuff is a world title but you're not expecting much out of him and you know big show's not going to go out there and put on some classic probably so this is definitely as far as matches goes the the showcase for smackdown absolutely
2: it really is the um it's it's the abbreviated version of their stuff but it's still really good this was my most vivid memory of the show also was the SmackDown Six in Chairs. Now I know, I know I don't say that to be funny, but that's the thing I remember the most. Is like, isn't there some sort of match where they're all sitting outside the ring in chairs? And this was it, and it all came <laughs> coming back. But it made an impression. Like you said, this this is the main event. Uh, this is the SmackDown main event of Survivor Series.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is the uh, yeah. It's like the uh, the marquee match. Yeah, I thought Absolutely. they did a good job. I thought this was I thought this was effective, and we um. And so even after the match, we get some more. So we get the double ankle lock ends up on Angle. Edge gets a cross face on Benoit. Guerrero cuts that off. And Benoit and Angle end with a, a glimmer of teamwork. So maybe giving us a hint that possibly the, um, you know, that they're going to be able to coexist and get their titles back at the, uh, at Survivor Series. But, um, so I don't know if you you were able to give your, uh, your final thoughts and rating on that one, uh, Johnny.
2: Yeah, I gave it like three. Uh, just, mm-hmm. you know, it, I gave it, you know, mostly out of respect. Um, I don't know, though, have you ever seen Billy Madison? I know that, that sounds strange, yeah. but I promise this. okay. So In the middle of the match, they're cutting to the different guys, Los Guerreros on the outside, and then Edge and Ray. At one point, they cut to Edge and Ray, and I swear to God, I'm not making this up. This woman stands up behind Edge and Ray. She's in a homemade shirt that says, I heart Edge. She's fairly attractive, you know, uh, what have you, objectively. But right, before, So she stands up, and she walks away. But right before she walks away, she fucking puts her hands in the air like she's saying O'Doyle rules and just turns around the news. But I swear <laughs> to God, I was like, what the fuck? She stands up, O'Doyle rules, and just, I'm out. I love Edge Chick out. It just happens. It's
1: fascinating. Maybe she was just upset that he didn't, you know, that he didn't get to stand tall at the end.
2: Yeah, that. you know. On the stage. Maybe she's disappointed
1: season. all the all the lack of like even though she's in there, so she probably got to hear the music, but maybe she's disappointed in the entrance music decisions.
2: Well, you know, damn it, there's <laughs> a lot to be there's a lot to be upset about. And, I, and I'm not gonna forget you making fun of my love of their entrance music.
1: <laughs> right. Um, all right. Final rundown of we get a final rundown of the Survivor Series card, which looks pretty stacked. It looks like a pretty good show. Every match has gotten a decent amount of build. We got some there's good marquee matches. Match
2: that's fake. Oh, that's, which one is that's a that's a fake news rundown. I okay. saw it on the Twitter. No, but it is. Uh, there's what one, one of these matches is a heat match, but it's not advertised as such. Because, like I said, I wore out my Survivor Series O2 tape because uh-huh. every match is pretty good. And you've got Jeff, where are you? Damn it! I've watched that a lot.
1: Yes, of course, with Rico. Um,
2: but but you're, uh, right? it's uh mm-hmm. the, it's the uh, un-Americans Hurricane Gold. Oh match. yeah.
1: Does it's not true. make the that... pay per view. You're right. That is show. But it
2: was but it, which is a silly thing to point out. But it was so it stood out to me so vividly. I was like, oh man, they actually had this as a match on the pay per view. Nowadays, I could see them doing the same thing, being like, tune into the pre show. Like this is clearly a last second decision to put them on heat. Um, but uh, I don't know, it's a little piece of history, I guess. It had the Survivor Series Krylon, is it Krylon, the, the, whatever the thing it's called. Yeah. Um, you know, so, I don't know, I th- it was kids, sounds silly, but I liked it.
1: Yeah, no, that's a good catch. It, you're right, it doesn't end up, they are relocated to Heat, unfortunately for them. I mean, I guess if any of yeah. them are going to get put on Heat, probably the right choice.
2: the <laughs> <Gold laughs> 2002 gold Dust ain't getting paid pay-per-view money.
1: Right. All right, so we will head to our main event, um, as it's called, the main, interview, main event uh, interview segment. So Brock heads out to the ring. He calls out show. Paul, of course, is still protesting, but Brock tells him to shut up. So, again, just constantly pushing the tension between these two. Um, but Big Show does come out, and Brock wastes absolutely no time and just throws him into the stairs, hammers him with a chair, just vicious, like bus show open and just lays him out with the belt. I thought this was... I thought it was awesome, like, Brock getting his revenge, like, I just love that he wasted no time, like, he called him out and just beat his ass, like, (laughs) just wasted absolutely no time, just hammered Big Show, but if we go by traditional wrestling logic, what, you know, what does this say, it would would lead you to believe that it's not good for his chances on Sunday, because usually the guy who stands tall before the pay-per-view is not the guy who wins, so we will have to see yeah
2: that's that spear into the chair into the steel steps is brutal um it's harsh it's the i don't know if uh show was concussed or not but it was it's a really intense segment
1: yeah like it's all like you said earlier like maybe they're getting into a little bit of like maybe adding a little cornyness to brock's character but i think he kind of saves it when he does stuff like this because when he gets into these situations he just looks like a complete badass like i was kind of shocked that he just immediately like wasted him like i thought maybe big Joe get a few shots in or something but no it's like he sure. knew he wanted to get his revenge and he just took him out
2: well it's it's crazy like brock is like the opposite of well, he's not the opposite of goldberg but it's like these guys, you know, the reason Brock caught on as a thing is just his ridiculous intensity. It's like he doesn't have an off mode. He doesn't know, his, you know, he's that kid who doesn't know his own strength yet because he, you know, he, he, he got through puberty 10 years before everybody else. But he's just, you know, when, when he's Nepal, Brock Lesnar, you know, it's not working for me, but this fucking beast mode. I mean, this is the reason he's endured as a character for like eight extra years by wrestling twice a year. He's never mm-hmm. lost the intensity.
1: Yeah, it was, it was awesome. And um, I, I think it solid to in the show kind of, I, like we said, the tag match is really the marquee. But I guess the storyline, maybe you could argue this is the bigger storyline, even if the match is probably not going to be. And it's probably the storyline yeah. you push the most, you know. Do you think that
2: uh, that spear is how he uh, courts Rena Merrow into bed in the evening?
1: He does the same sure. thing. And she's you know? like, do it like the do it like the November Fourteenth uh, SmackDown. <laughs> do it remember? like he did no. it in
2: Columbus, Brocky. <laughs> she calls him Brocky. Damn it, Rena! I, I told you not to call me Brocky.
1: Lesnar, yeah.
2: Lesnar, your name's Les- Rena Lesnar.
1: Right.
2: I don't know. Uh, he this uh, I remember the blood from Big Show a lot. They cut the. F- You know, the show ends with Brock standing tall and Big Show like sells this attack. I believe Lesnar, after this was done for the live crowd, I think they went back into the ring and fought a little bit more. And then, you know, Lesnar leaves. I think so because I I sat, this is one of the better seats I've had. Like, I could touch the ramp. Um, Uh If you're a wrestler and you look to your right as you're coming down the ramp, that's where I was. And Uh Big Show crawls up the ramp at the end and. He does, he gets up and kind of like stagger falls, like doing big show acting and a dr- like a decent amount of blood landed just a few <laughs> inches away from my hands. Um, so Paul White and I became blood brothers on that night because after everybody left, I went out and I collected a sample and I still have it to this day.
1: Wow. Well, your blood, like no, Dexter, Dexter blood yeah, slide or something.
2: <laughs> it was kind of creepy because I'm watching this and I'm like, man, have I really liked this shit for 20 years? this motherfucker just cut himself on the head to entertain me. Is there something wrong with me? Or is there something <laughs> right. wrong with him?
1: Right. <laughs> Maybe. Both, but.
2: A little bit. All right. Yeah, a little
1: bit. Um, all right, Johnny, what did you, I'll let you kind of give me thoughts. What did you think of this episode of SmackDown? How would you rate it? Well,
2: it's kind of a, it's kind of a bummer in a sense that this is, uh, and I remember feeling this at the show, like, Look at what they had the week before, for God's sakes. This was the this was the time, and it does still continue where you would you maybe read the SmackDown results early, and you saw that there was a ridiculous, amazing match that the SmackDown 6 were having. And to go see it live, you're like, Yes, this is it. And then the week before they put on an all-timer, and then this is the follow-up. It's kind of a a lower SmackDown 6 episode, but it's still very entertaining lesnar Heyman stuff gets a little old, but it does go on through the whole story and at least concludes at the end in an entertaining way. I would say – I have to say it's better than – I get a six because I have to say it's better than Raw, but it's – to put it anything higher would be really overstating, uh, but it's still mm-hmm. very entertaining, for God's sakes.
1: Right. It is a little weird. Like we said the um, – because it is a similar show to Raw in that they both kind of do the hard sell, trying to push all the pay-per-view angles and stuff. But for, it's weird because for SmackDown, that's a bit of a step down. Like for Raw, it kind of helped them get a little more focused and make a more solid as opposed to bad show. Uh, like you said, because they're, not, they're trying to save a little bit for the pay-per-view, they end up kind of being a little more reserved than some of the more recent SmackDown. So it is a bit of a, a step down for SmackDown. But I'm right there with you. I want to touch above Raw. I went six out of ten. Which is not quite as good as some of the other ones, but it was a good, we got the good Ray Eddie match, the really good match, and I thought they put a good focus on everything and got you hyped for the pay per view, which is what a go home show should do.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It um, you know it's 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 definitely clear that it, it's such a SmackDown six centric episode. Um, mm-hmm. They're in almost every segment. These guys really were. Kind of reminds me of. A, I don't. I could tell you the year, but. There was a time period where they, they unified the tag titles. And if you had the tag titles, you could be on both shows. And, like, marquee teams started to uniform, like Jericho, Show, Ms. Show Miz, DX, Legacy, like, you know, kind of more a main event tag team. And, uh, you know, this was just an era where there was tag team title and a singles title, and that's it. Uh, you know, and then on, uh, what's it called, on Brawl, they had even lost the Intercontinental title. So... I don't know. It was a, it was a unique era. Um, but having these main eventers establish a tag team division, it, brilliant idea in hindsight. It's just unfortunate that the same belts that the SmackDown 6 feuded over for all this time would eventually be held by the likes of like Deuce and Domino and Billy Gunn <laughs> and Zuko or Billy Gunn and that <laughs> other guy. I don't yeah. know. It's just too bad. Yeah. But that's the business, Cole. James to break. <laughs>
1: All right. Best match. Um, are we both, uh, I have Ray Eddie. Are we on the same page on that one?
2: Yeah. I mean, I have to, or I lose all my like wrestling credibility if I even have any left, but uh, sentimental favorite is the crazy SmackDown tag team match, uh, with the Rikishi belt. combo.
1: <laughs> right. Um, best moment. I'm going to go with Brock at the end of, um, at the end of SmackDown, just completely, um, destroying show and bonus points for spraying with blood too <laughs>
2: for sure um i i mean rnn i, I i'm okay. i mean i i it just really was a class i mean i have a really deep space in my heart for rnn it stupid shit like that so um i mean but obviously i i know that wasn't it but i have to it's if i'm never on the show again because I don't think I'll be invited back. I've got I got to get an <laughs> in right now.
1: No, right. she will be. But yeah, hey, do you do you. Um best show, I think uh, I'm going to go SmackDown, but by I think Raw narrowed the margin considerably compared to where they've been, which is good for them. But I'm still going to go SmackDown by a touch.
2: Yeah, JR uh, J. and King on SmackDown was kind of like you know, putting on like an old episode of like Comfort, you know, the mm-hmm. like maybe it's Billy Madison referenced that earlier like yeah, I've seen it a trillion times, too. If I, if I need to, like, do something important, but I need to have noise, I might put on a movie like that. Uh, J.R. and King is definitely that as well for me.
1: All right. But SmackDown um, L-
2: overall mm-hmm. better. SmackDown mm-hmm. overall better, though.
1: LVP, I'm going to go with – I'm going to give it to the whole Tough Enough gang of Al Snow, Chris Nowinski, and Maven. Just They felt like completely on the lowest tier you could be on Raw.
2: For sure, giving it to Al and Tori and Don is going to be like, you know, wait, that's too much of an honor for them. So <laughs> I think I think I'm going to go with uh, D'Lo Brown because um, you know, <laughs> right. he, he's main. I mean, he's a main eventer in TNA, but you know, he's losing squash matches here. So I'm, apparently, uh, the writing crew of SmackDown 2002 is not down with the Brown.
1: Uh-huh. All right, and then uh, MVP, I think I'm going to go with Eddie on this one because he had the great match, the great promo stuff. I think he kind of brought brought it in all aspects on uh, on these.
2: So I I agree he's the sentimental favorite. Uh, well, he, I mean, don't get me wrong. Yeah. I think that you're right. He is. To me, he's a sentimental favorite. Angle edges him out with uh, this move sucks. That, that was just the one better <laughs> oh, thing man. he did than Eddie. Uh, so but this way we get to honor them both uh, Kurt Angle in his prime and Eddie, who never lost his prime.
1: Right. I uh, man, that could almost be my best moment. That was so good. Oh, uh,
2: it was Oops, so sucks. great, too. It's such a great little moment. I mean, that shit just doesn't happen anymore. Or if it does, you know, Michael Cole yells, it's a Russell Media moment
1: right and it just and especially too because that's what set off the whole big brawl was great about it too like he didn't just yes. do it and continue with the match it was like the final straw where it was like all right let's beat the fuck out of each other it was great
2: <laughs> right and eddie did too he's like java man he's making fun of my moves like he really <laughs> sells it in character like that was one too much like but you could see all that on his. like i don't know if it's just his body or space i can't remember what they zoom in on or show but you know that that's what the character, that's what he's making his character say. Like, oh, that's too much, man. That's my move.
1: Great. You know. All right. Uh, standout performers, top five. So I'll run mine down. We may match on some of these. I'm going to go with Booker because I do like him being, like, kind of holding his own a bit as uh, getting into that main event scene. I'm going to go with Sean. I thought he was good. I thought Brock was good with that beatdown segment and just kind of carried himself as the champ. Ray for sure was good in that match. And I'm actually going to give it to Heyman because I feel like he is kind of carrying that big show Brock angle, which I think without him could easily be much, much worse and maybe even bad. But I think he he is kind of holding it up, which is I think worthy of some, um you know, some credit there. So I don't know who you had top five. Any standouts here for you, Johnny?
2: Yeah. Um, I, 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 I agree that Paul should be on there, but I got a little tired of a schtick. So I kind of went, you know, I, did, I wanted to give it mostly to wrestlers. Uh, so instead of Heyman, I, I like Taz. He really did a lot for me on this show. He was entertaining, and uh, it was just a, a good old-fashioned view. Like, I, you know, it is kind of silly, but, uh, you know, that, that helps sell it for me. I really enjoyed that quite a bit. Um, I think Eddie and Kurt, obviously, they stand out as was really important to the overall of the show i thought batista was good too it was nice to see a good old-fashioned uh squash match especially from who we all know will become batista um jericho is my last one uh i really love the little character moment where christian's like hey this is great because eric bischoff told me that i'm going to be in the elimination chamber if somebody can't compete and like i believe that that's what this version of Jericho would do. He just smacks it. He has a little kick of the world and mm-hmm. walks away. Like, it's just great little Jericho stuff. Um, that's how he got over, and that's how he stays over.
1: Great. Um, all right. Well, thanks for coming on, Johnny. It was, it was a great show. Um, I was glad to have you on. I'll be sure to have you back. Do you? Um, is there anything you'd like to plug that you have going on or Twitter or anything like that?
2: Well, sure. I'm on Twitter at Save Martha Russo. Uh, you can visit me there and join many of my class action lawsuits that I launched humorously <laughs> on uh, WCW Must Die, which is a show that I do with Ryan Gray. Uh, we, we've been kind of hit a little, we've been kind of strange with our schedule because I did two episodes with Aaron and then Ryan and I transitioned and we kind of reformatted the show a little and then uh, just some personal stuff, nothing bad, just, you know, prior commitments and what have you. But we're getting back into a regular schedule. We were covering uh, the dying days of WCW on WCW Must Die, um, which some North South connection, and, and uh, it's a lot of fun. Uh, if you like Vince Russo, come on down. We talk about him quite a bit. Quite a bit indeed. Which is weird too, because Bischoff on my show looks like he's like 60, and here on Raw, <laughs> which is in the future, he looks rejuvenated.
1: It's like getting out of WCW, like reverse age him fifteen years. Like, you know, in fifteen years younger because he would have to deal with WCW anymore.
2: The fucking curious case of Eric Bischoff,
1: you know? Right, that's awesome. I um, uh, check out that pod. That, that's a great concept for a pod. That's a re- it's a really fun like pod concept because it's just there's just so much going on in that era to talk about. It's great, and I don't think it's covered as much as you would think. Like. It's kind of something that people talk about, but maybe not in as much detail as you guys are getting into, which is cool. Well, we try to have fun with
2: it. You know, it is kind of a weird time period, but don't act like there isn't some good stuff in there. You, uh, you know, you want to hear Ernest the Captain Miller get heaped on with loads of praise. It's a show for you.
1: I'm sure many do. All right, uh, put up. Okay. <laughs> um, but, but thanks, Charlie, for coming on again. I'll have you back soon. Um, as for me, I'll be back in two weeks with the big one Like we uh, we talked about here We'll have Survivor Series 2002 Pretty big show So I'll see you at MSG in two weeks from this episode So, see you later bye Always,
2: always, always You oh, know oh. my style Victory is
0: mine You're going down Down, Over the fence, run under Uh, the bed uh, Put down the block, but you can't hide You can stay at your friends, sleep in your bins Free from your sins, but you can't hide We get it poppin', baby We give it to them, daddy Yeah, 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 yeah Now uh, make noise, yeah, yeah Make noise, yeah, yeah Make noise,